The Wrestling Memory Grenade is proud to announce the launch of WrestleCopia brand and the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, which you can find over at www.wrestlecopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com, WrestleCopia.com. You've probably heard me mention in passing all the way back to episode one of the Grenade, the WrestleCopia brand. You may be asking, what is WrestleCopia? The name derives from the words wrestle for wrestling and copia, which is defined as having plenty or an abundance of. It's an abundance of wrestling history over at WrestleCopia.com as the podcast network gets up and running with a variety of podcasts, everything from our show The Grenade to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, an in-depth look and weekly breakdown of the entire Raw vs. Nitro War. The WrestleCopia News Network is a special feature podcast. We've done a couple pieces already in the Bullet Bob Armstrong special and more recently, What a Rush, a tribute to Road Warrior Animal Peace. You can expect more late-breaking news, timely discussions, and tributes to the fallen legends on future episodes of WCNN. We've also got other podcasts being prepped for their debuts, including a territory-based show we like to call The Money and the Miles. There's an old saying in the world of professional wrestling that nothing in this business is real except the money made and the miles traveled. In this podcast, we discuss the territory era with shows focusing on everything from show reviews to yearly breakdowns to episodes focusing on some of the rare, lesser-known territories and outlaw promotions of yesteryear that remains an enigma. Stop on over to WrestleCopia.com for all the latest shows and follow us on Twitter at WrestleCopia. That's on Twitter at WrestleCopia for all the latest news and information on the podcast network. Turn it on and rip the knob off. Hey guys, welcome back again. It's another edition of the Wrestling Memory Grenade, episode 29. I'm your host, Ray Russell. Joining me again, Steve Axstadt. Steve, we're in the month of December here, 1989 in the NWA. We made it. You made it. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, I don't know what could happen to stop us from finishing this off. Yeah, so we got two weeks of December. We're doing the first two weeks of December here this week on the Grenade. Next week, it's the Starcade 89 Future Shock Watch Along. And then in two weeks' time, we're going to close things out the final three weeks of December 1989, and of course, in three weeks' time, it's WrestleMania week and the award show, the recap show, the award show, call it whatever you want. We're going to put, not, put a nice bow on this come uh, WrestleMania week for the fans uh, that have been following us since the beginning or joined in later on. It's, it's been a fun time, but uh, we got to just keep moving along because we got more ideas, more promotions, more years to cover. Yeah, the reward show should be fun. Put a bow on this one and then right into the next one. Uh, no weeks off. Who, I, I don't know whose gimmick it is. No days off. But uh, I think that was uh, um, Derek, Darren Young, <laughs> if I remember yeah. correctly. <laughs> Tells you how good that was. But, well, see, um, we, can, we can steal that and nobody will even know. So, <laughs> But um, no, uh, we're no weeks off here, so we'll, we'll get to it. Uh, before we get going, you know, the last couple of months, I keep forgetting to do the VIP job of the month at the top of the following month, and we end up doing it like the second week of the of the month, and I'm not going to do that this time. I'm going to catch myself before I forget again, and we wind up doing it like in two weeks or something like that. We're going to do the November 89 VIP, VIP job of the month. 
and we're going to do it at the top of the program. Steve, you did a great job last week picking out the October VIP job of the month. Of course, Gene Ligon just squeaked in a win there over Lee Scott. And again, this time we, we have the battle of Lee Scott and another fellow job guy by the name of Danny Marlowe. And Steve, since you did such a great job with October, I'm going to let you pick one more time here this week. And we look at Lee Scott's body of work for November. He wrestled Tommy Rich, world champion Ric Flair, Buzz Sawyer, six-man action against the SST and the Samoan Savage, teamed up with Jason Walker and scored a win over the Midnight Express, Lee Scott's first win of the year. Of course, it was by forfeit, which led into an angle post-match beatdown. But hey, those uh, win-loss records, it says win, a W right there for Lee Scott. And of course, he closes out the month by wrestling Buzz Sawyer yet again, poor guy. Then on the other end, Danny Marlowe's body of work featured him in one match, teaming with his uh, <laughs> apparently full-time partner, at least on the indie circuit, I would imagine, as they have matching tights. They hail from Hollywood, California. The 400-pound uh, Danny Marlowe took on the Steiner brothers. It was not pretty. As Rick Steiner tagged, was it Rick or Scott? I think it was Rick. Tagged, yes, it was Rick. Tagged in and yeah, dumped Rick. the 400-pound Marlowe in a German, released German suplex on the back of his head. His neck folded in, and we said over and over, I can't believe he didn't bro- break his neck. How do we know that he didn't break his neck? Because <laughs> those set of tapings, we kept seeing his partner Gene Spurlock wrestle in tag team matches thereafter. There was never again a sighting of Danny Marlowe. So either he packed his bags and quit that night, or maybe he did suffer an injury there. It was pretty nasty. Yeah, I would, I'm going to go. I feel bad because Lee Scott got some liberties taken on him by Buzz which was unfortunate. He didn't deserve that. He kind of took that German on the floor uh, that Marlowe took. But, I mean, that Danny Marlowe German suplex uh, was pretty much one of the nastiest moves we've seen all year long. Yeah, definitely. And um, something seemed off. I know Scott came in and did the the belly-to-belly to to finish it off, kind of went easy on him, if you want to call it that. Yeah, right. Easy for the Steiners. Yeah, and... uh, they, I think the match was supposed to go a little bit longer, but they clearly saw something was up. So I got to give it to Marlowe, man. That was one of the nastiest moves I've ever. That big dude shouldn't be taking that spot. No, and, I don't um, think he had much of a choice. You saw his face when he tagged in. That was not, oh yeah, that was not a no that was not a worked look of concern. That was a shoot look of concern. Like oh fuck, here we go. And I've seen plenty <laughs> of these matches. That's probably what he was thinking, and um, he knew it was coming. But when you're that big, you can't really brace yourself. There's nothing you can do because all that weight's just driving into the back of your neck. Yeah, while the you land go down, on your so. head. Yeah, snap your chin Oof. into your chest. It was not pretty. I really oh, wonder God. what happened uh, following that. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious. I don't know that we'll ever get an answer to that. But good choice again. Uh, Lee Scott just getting squeaked out again because somebody damn near got murdered. That's about the only way Lee Scott's going to lose that's, one of these. That's things. what it takes. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. Yeah, because I, I think Lee Scott uh, just barely lost to Dwayne Bruce one time when. When Sid dropped him like a sack of potatoes and played ping pong with yeah. his body on, on his way down to the floor. So, yep. And it took Gene Ligon actually getting an interview to beat Lee Scott. So that's what it takes. I mean, um, those extra miles. You really stand, you got to stand out somehow because you're not going to outdo Lee Scott. That's right. That. So, Danny Marlowe, I guess, is now another member of the VIP Jobber of the and it's sad to say, with December coming up, or December here now, once we conclude all of this, there's only one more VIP Job of the Month award to give away. Hopefully Lee Scott wins it. It seems like a fitting way to end it, but I'm not going to be biased. I'm not going to force it upon him. We're going to see who really outshines here in, in December of 89, but certainly I'm sure there will be an award 
headed Mr. Lee Scott's way before before we move on to the next promotion the next year. On behalf of the Wrestling Memory Grenade and the WrestleCopia brand, we are proud to announce our very own Patreon account. We encourage everyone to stop on over to patreon.com slash WrestleCopia and check out an amazing 14 tiers. And depending on your budget, we have everything from as little as a $1 tier to as much as a $100 tier. Get you all sorts of exciting offers. It really all depends on what offer you value the most. You can do anything from join Steve and I right here as co-hosts for an episode of The Grenade, all the way down to unedited versions of the show, early access to upcoming episodes, beat everyone else to the punch, see what we're saying before everyone else gets to hear it, plus my insanely detailed show notes, which I value ever so dearly. You can even pick the flick. And what that means is, if you subscribe to one of our You Pick the Flick tiers, you'll tell us, me and Steve, what show it is you want us to review. It can be a watch-along on the WWE Network, YouTube, Daily Motion. It can even be a live review of a rare show from my personal archive vault of videos at home. No promotion, no territory, no era is off-limits. You can request anything from your favorite WrestleMania to an episode of 1982 World Class to the 60-minute classic between Jack Briscoe and Dory Funk Jr. from 1970s All Japan. Hell, if you want to put us through the misery, we'll even pull a mystery science theater over here and watch Hell Comes to Frogtown starring Roddy Piper. You tell us what you want us to review, and we'll do our own little watch-along and do our best to entertain you guys and give you guys insight in the process. And it doesn't end there. There's a $5 tier, the all-access tier. Not only do you gain access to everything on every lower tier, but you'll also have complete access to our entire full library of random show reviews and watch-alongs we've done and continue to do as a side project. We review everything from the Flare Steamboat 2 out of 3 fall match from Class 6 all the way down to the Halloween 1985 edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. It's a proverbial hodgepodge of randomness, as you never know what we'll review next. And it's exclusive to the all-access tier or any of the higher tiers over at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Check it out now. That address again is patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That's Wrestle C-O-P-I-A. And uh, we'll continue on here in a little piece of business I like to call DeMelt says. DeMelt says, Jim Hurd offered uh, former NWA president Sam Muchnick $5,000 to do a series of television interviews endorsing the new NWA today. But Mr. Muchnick turned it down because he wouldn't endorse the current product. I I loved when I read that. You go, Sam Muchnick. You tell him. And I'm not shitting on so much the last few months of the storylines and things, but there's a whole lot of train wreck shit from when Muchnick was being brought in earlier in the year. If you remember when he came in for a couple of shows and things, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking Sam Muchnick's not sitting around watching this week to week. So if he's basing it off the shit that was going on when he came in, I could see why he would turn this down. <laughs> yeah, I can too. I think maybe if uh, Ric Flair reached out and told him kind of what was going on, it'd probably get a little bit further. But um, yeah, I, I can't say I blame him uh, with the shit he had to deal with early on. Wise call. Terry Funk will take over as executive producer of the syndicated TV shows starting in January. It's reported. I'm not sure if that's just a title for his pay grade because Terry is a lot of things, but organized doesn't seem to be one of them, Steve. <laughs> that's no lie. Just go watch a Funk's grill. Yeah. So uh, I'm thinking um, this doesn't come to fruition or it's just a, a job title because I just don't see Terry really even wanting to be in control of syndication and having to organize shit. He just wants to have fun, remember? That's right. And, of course, we closed out last episode. We talked about Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard quitting the WWF. Of course, Arn uh, being rescinded a contract. It was supposed to make $250,000 a year, 
along with Tully Blanchard, but Tully isn't coming in no longer because he failed a WWF drug test on the way out, and TBS and Jim Hurd don't want to touch him now. So Arn's coming in alone, and he got his 250k offer lowered to 100. $50,000. Arn lost $100,000 of his year annual contract. And uh, I noted here because I, I picked up a couple of some audio I was listening to of Jim Cornette talking about this. And he said, uh, when everyone found out, everyone in the back was pissed. Flair was living because Flair set up the whole deal. Flair's the one that made the call to Arn, made the deal to bring the Brainbusters in. And now Tully's not coming in and Arn's getting ripped off. And Flair was livid. Cornette was livid. Obviously, Sullivan was pissed off. Basically, everybody under Jim Hurd that had any kind of power with the booking, they were enraged by what Hurd pulled here on Arn Anderson. You talked about, you kind of get it. Uh, he is a little devalued without Tully Blanchard, which I agree. But at the same time, $100,000, nearly cutting your paycheck in half, that's a, that's a little too, too steep for me. And then uh, it's noted yeah. that Ole Anderson will remain on, not just as a manager, as he was going to be the new kind of J.J. Dillon of the group. He's now going to be forced to replace Tully Blanchard in the actual Four Horsemen faction, which was originally scheduled to be Flair, Arn, Tully, and Sting feuding with the JTEX Corporation of Muda, Buzz Sawyer, and I guess a couple other guys who were planning on bringing in there. Yeah, I think um, we kind of see this on the Grenade, on the uh, Monday Warfare show, but... I, I see where uh, Jim Hurt's coming from. It makes sense. You spend the last year being a tag team in the WWF. He was their champions. So when you come back, it's not like you're coming back as the NWA version of Arn and Tully. You're getting the WWF Brainbusters, and it's it's a coup to steal them from from Vince. I mean, whenever you get a guy from Vince that's established and not devalued to the point of no re- diminishing of returns, I can see why he would want to do that. It makes sense to me. I'm not saying it's right, but to take money from him is stupid for one thing. And two, what I was talking about with the Monday show, it seems like these companies have their audience. It's not like people are just wrestling fans. Yeah, some of there is crossover. Right. But for the most part, the 3.5 or whatever it was is watching Nitro and the 2.9 is watching Raw. And that's it. Like, it's not really fluctuating up and down until later on, obviously. I know that changes. But initially, like, that's what they had. And I don't think. Uh, when Arn and Tully are coming back, the NWA fans are not looking at Arn and Tully, the brain busters. They're looking at, holy shit, the four horsemen are back together. Right. So it's not like you're not getting the value that you think you're getting because you're still in the WWF guys. No matter, Arn and Tully could have been in WWF for three years from 88, 89, 90, whatever. And they would always be the NWA and they would always be four horsemen to everybody. They could have had his six title reigns, whatever the case may be. It doesn't matter. They could have had the title for three years. They would never be looked at as WWF guys. I don't I don't care what anybody says. Right. That's how impactful that initial horseman run was. So in theory, what he's doing makes sense. But at the same time, he's not. He don't even know his audience because the audience that he's bringing him into are going to be like, holy shit, the horsemen are back together. Not, oh, my God, that's Arnon Tully from the WWF. Like nobody's saying. Right. Uh, and, sorry, and remember, Arn and Tully were world NWA world tag team champions on the way out. They had to drop the belts to the Midnights when they gave notice and quit to go to Vince. They were world tag team champions in the NWA as well. Then they jump over to Vince and by 89, they're WWF. So they're very in the last couple of years specifically they're they've, they've been married together as a tag team more often than not. But like you pointed out, people aren't really looking at them as it's the brain busters coming from the WWF. They're looking at, oh, they're coming back home from their their voyage over there to the WWF. Now they're back where, where they belong. 
And unfortunately, exactly. Jim Hurd doesn't say it that way. And uh, Arn gets the shaft here. Uh, but we'll move on. So does we'll Tully. Get... Tully, well, Tully, 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 really. Shaft yeah. for years. Yeah, Tully. Until <laughs> till AW came around. Yeah, until he uh, started slingshot suplexing midgets across the ring. But that's a <laughs> story for another day, I guess. <laughs> we'll move on here with the NWA Power Hour for December 1st. Did I mention we're in December? Wow. 1989, taped back on November 20th, post-clash. So we're up to date, booking-wise. Columbus, Ohio. Jim Ross hosts, along with Jim Cornette, who is now back as a heel. Corny says ratings have been down the tubes the past two weeks because he's been missing in action, but no fear, Jim Cornette is back. We kick the show off with the dynamic dudes taking on the Avenger and Rip Rogers, our first look at Rip Rogers all year long. So it was cool to see him step in right before the, sh- uh, the end of the year. Jim Cornette on commentary says, the women in Columbus only love the dudes because they've never, had a, they've never been touched by a man or anything else for that matter. The heels actually try to jump the dudes, but the dynamic ones fight them off. Shane's arm appears better here, I noted, no longer wearing the arm brace uh, throughout the match. The dude's still just awful with the double team spots. I don't know why I'm still writing this in December, Steve. I wrote, how? I feel like I write this every fucking show. How? How do you suck this bad after teaming up for fucking seven, eight months? I don't get it. Shane finally tags Johnny Ace in. They do a spot. And then Ace leaves the ring back to the apron, even though he was the one that was tagged in. So I found it comical. Tommy Young had to play referee here, and he has to actually go over and tell Ace, hey, you tagged in. Get the fuck back in the ring. It was, it was fucking absolutely terrible. I hate you, Johnny Ace. And the boring chants begin in a squash match, Steve. Boring chants in a squash match. Well, finally, <laughs> Ace nails the Ace Crusher, and we take him to the finish as, here we go again, Johnny Ace holds the Avenger up in a suplex as Shane Douglas comes off the top rope of the crossbody. But instead of crossbodying the masked man, he crossbodies his own partner, Johnny Ace. Of course, they don't sell it that way. I wrote, how do you do this twice? You remember the last time they tried this? He landed on Shane's face. This time was even worse. Or uh, Ace's face, I should say. This time was even worse. Shane didn't even get up high enough to hit the Avenger. Luckily, he took a crossbody on Johnny Ace. Anyways, the dude still got the win. Five minutes and 42 seconds, but this was just awful. Uh, yeah, it's pretty bad. Uh, the only the only saving grace is Shane Douglas looks pretty good. I mean, the dudes are fine as long as he's in the ring. Other than that, as soon as Ace comes in and they try to do double team moves or anything, as soon as Ace gets involved with any part of the action, it's to complete shits. Shane, by himself, and they're working jobbers and doing things, looks like a nice, fiery mid-card. He should be getting the Z-Man gimmick. Shane and Pillman would have been great together. Shane by himself doing the Z-Man gimmick would have been excellent. This dynamic dude shit, wouldn't it? He could have put Z-Man and Johnny Ace in there. That would have been phenomenal as the dynamic dudes because it's two <laughs> dudes who don't know how to work. And it's two dudes who really don't give a shit uh, if they look <laughs> That would have been dynamic working. for all the wrong reasons. It would have been terrible. Yes, but uh, they deserve each other uh, at this rate. And I feel like Pillman and Shane are the ones that are you know working and doing well and getting themselves over or had the ability to do so, especially Pillman. But I think that would have been an interesting tag team. But um, I feel bad for Shane. That's really all I can say. And you keep on saying they keep on messing up and doing these dumb things in the ring, and I'm just defending Shane Douglas because you can tell he has talent and potential here. Yeah, but it's Shane just, was Shane did do the, uh, the low body low body crossbody there. That was that was all Shane on that part. That was they're, they're just yeah, they, they, they don't need to be in there. But I just I just feel like he doesn't care because Ace is trash. I think he sees it. 
And speaking of Ace, your boy isn't the head of talent relations again. I saw that today in the news. Yes, Johnny Ace back <laughs> in the uh, talent relations department. I wonder who he's been sucking off lately. Speaking of sucking uh, off, there's a great story I got mom, for you. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, well, yeah, I guess. But she's not in a place of power in the company. This would have to be like, you know. I don't know, pal. Well, I I'll have to think about it. I didn't it. even know this. I didn't even know this, but I didn't realize he was still with the company. Uh, oh, yeah. In some yeah, fashion. I, I, knew that. I, I right, didn't know. Yeah. I didn't realize he was even still there. I thought he was yeah, just, he's, you know, he's been an agent, doing the yeah. Bella show. Now he's been kissing ass and keeping his job as an agent. And, Stephanie uh, loves him, so that's, I guess that's what you need. There you go. It's time for Gordon Sully's uh, uh, WNN. They talk Starcade 89, Future Shock. Gordon talks all about the Iron Man and Iron Team tournaments. Not a whole lot to talk about with Flair and Funk this week, so Gordon just kind of phones it in and breaks down the pay-per-view. As we go back to the ring, Kevin Sullivan taking on Ranger Ross. Sullivan jumps and dumps Ross to the floor to get going. An extended beatdown on the outside of the ring before Ranger Ross finds his way back in and takes over. But Sullivan then powders and distracts with a steel chair, allowing Kevin to take back over himself with some arm work on the, on the Ranger. And it becomes a, a back and forth with the arm work. Both guys trying to work the arm bars and arm locks. Sullivan uses momentum to send Ranger back to the floor. More fighting on the outside before Kevin finally drops Ross across the top across the top of the guardrail and rolls him back inside, hooks his tights. Kevin Sullivan picks up the win over Ranger Ross in eight minutes. Uh, pretty boring. Yeah, it was um, a nothing match. It was, it was nothing. Eight minutes, you're like, oh, that's, that could be okay. And then you realize they worked the arm for about six of it. Pretty much in a nutshell, that's that's pretty much the way it was. It's time for Terry Funk's Grill, and his guest this week is Gordon Soley. Funk announces he will be the new co-host of NWA Worldwide with Chris Cruz. Gordon joins the segment, and Funk implies that JR and Gordon Soley would be the commentators of Starcade. I don't know if that's just Funk mixing things up, or if maybe that was an idea, how good Gordon did at the Clash of the Champions. I'm not really sure here, but... Funk asks if he can join Gordon and Jim Ross at the pay-per-view. Sully saying he was proud of how Terry Funk has transitioned from wrestler to retired here after the clash. Funk then showed off how he would like to introduce the show at Starcade. He wanted to say hello to all the simple-minded people out there. Gordon had to correct him. You can't say that, Terry. So then Terry changed it up. He wanted to say hello to all the brilliant nitwits out there. Can't say that either, Terry. Well, damn. Terry's going to have to work on it with Sully correcting him each time, telling the Funker to work on his psychological relationship with the fans at home. There you go, Gordon. Uh, Funk says he wants to call the action just like Gordon on commentary. Boy, that'd be something else. Terry Funk trying to do the the Gordon Sully. Interesting. (laughs) I think what we've learned over the last couple of shows is uh, there's only one Gordon Sully. Good luck, Terry Funk. Those are, those are high marks to pass, to, to pass there. Amen, brother. And we go to the main event of the show. It's Tag Team Champions, the Steiner Brothers, taking on Doom, accompanied by Woman and Nitron. It's Butch Reed and Rick Steiner starting off, filling each other out. Rick fights his way out of the corner of Doom and nails a Steiner line on Butch Reed. An early four-way melee in the match sees Doom avoid a collision, but run into Steiner lines. Then run into more Steiner lines and finally take a powder out of the ring. The match continues as Scott nails a release German suplex on Ron Simmons. Damn! And Scott Steiner goes for the Frankensteiner, but Ron decides he's not going to take it. And I actually rewound this three times as soon as this happened. I wanted to make sure this wasn't Ron just refusing to take the move. It seemed like it was planned, even though Scott landed directly on the top of his fucking head. 
when Ron decided not to take the Frankensteiner here. But Ron does manage to tag in Butch Reed immediately, which made me believe that this was planned as they start getting heat on Scott Steiner. And it's sloppiness everywhere by everyone in the ring. Doom both botch moves, a pile driver by one and a shoulder tackle by the other. And then even Scott Steiner jumps in with a sloppy-looking sunset flip. I don't know what was going on here between the two teams. They just weren't clicking tonight. And finally, Scott reverses a suplex on Butch Reed, makes the hot tag to Rick Steiner. Ron Simmons also tags in. Rick Steiner comes in with a belly-to-belly on Ron, but Butch Reed breaks up the count. Scott runs in and nails the Frankensteiner, and Reed goes flying across the ring and slides out, actually. It was, it was actually fun watching the con- constant momentum of Butch Reed as he eats the Frankensteiner and just, his body just keeps sliding to the outside. Rick Steiner in the ring with an O'Connor roll on Ron Simmons, but Woman actually enters the ring to draw a distraction, causing both Steiners to confront her in the corner until big seven-foot Nitron steps in. And he steps in front of Woman, then picks her up, scoops her up, and holds her to protect her as Doom attacked the Steiners from behind, which somehow caused a disqualification because Nitron left the ring with Woman. They didn't do anything. And somehow the Steiners win on a DQ. We've seen a lot of these weird DQs lately. They weren't calling them for about 11 months, and now they're calling them for shit when people aren't even doing anything. As the Steiners pick up the win, 10 minutes, 33, 36 seconds here. Yeah, it's pretty rough. A lot of botched-looking spots. It looked like, I don't know which one it was. Somebody did a pile driver. I think it was shortly after the uh, Frankensteiner. I yeah. think Reed or one of them hit the pile driver, and it looks like he hurt his knee. Uh, he was kind of selling it and getting a little wobbly, and then he, I think he tagged out. I don't Again, I don't know if it was Reed or Simmons. I, I couldn't really see. It just felt like somebody, like some of these moves that they made, like the Frankensteiner, maybe it knocked Scott a little woozy because <laughs> he landed like be right it. on his neck. Yeah, like he landed on the top like of that. his head. Yeah, that was not safe. Yeah, like, no, definitely not. I'm, I'm sure he didn't mind, but <laughs> I'm sure. No, he was doing that every week. Forward. Every week when he was doing that blockbuster suplex, that backflip power slam exactly. type. So, yeah, he should yeah. be used to that. I'm not saying it's good yeah. for him, but he should be used to it. Yeah, he knows what's up. He knows what to expect. But, um, yeah, I just felt like after that, that missed Frankensteiner and then that power driver, it just seemed like it, the wheels fell off a little bit. I, I, it could have just been an off night. I don't know, but uh, it was not very pretty. So the Steiners so win. Clash match at all. No, definitely not. And, and post-match, the action, if you want to call it that, continues as Ron Simmons begins nailing Rick Steiner on the floor with the lamest chair shots possibly ever, even worse than some of Hogan's uh, in 95, as uh, he's just barely tapping. Rick Steiner over the head with him, but Rick obviously no selling the moves and finally yanks the chair from Ron Simmons, hits him one time, and Ron takes a bump. I had to laugh because he's sitting there hit, hitting Rick over and over, and Rick's just staring at him. Then Rick just takes it, hits Ron once, and he bumps for him. So that was fun there. On the other side of the ring, it's Scott Steiner hitting Butch Reed with the chair. And then Reed finally grabs Scotty and delivers a pile driver on the floor. Terry Funk was hospitalizing people with this move. But Scott Hall, or excuse me, Scott Steiner just gets straight up from it, and the brawl continues into the commercial break. And I don't mean he got up from it like Hawk, no sells it, pops up, uh, superhuman. He took it like you would take a hip toss, and he slowly got up and then recovered from a pile driver on the floor. And <laughs> blink and you'll miss it because it happens right before the break, but it does. And then they continue to fight up the aisle into the commercial break at the end of the show. Yeah, just to get some more heat on it. Push. Starcade, that sort of thing. Like we talked about last week, it's a lot of the you only can do so much when you're doing a tournament. So this is just one of those things to keep some heat on one of the matches anyway. And obviously they have the backstory that some of the other matches just don't necessarily have. So the post match stuff wasn't bad. I feel like these 
headshots, like with the steel chairs back in like 89, 88, those sort of years on both companies. It's something that wasn't done all the time. <laughs> so it almost feels like they're a little reluctant to do it. Now, I know like with the wooden chairs and things like that, they can they try to lay those in, I guess. But from what I've seen from these early late '80s chair shots, they don't just go free free swinging like they do in the Attitude Era, where they're really trying to kill people. So it just it just makes you wonder if there's a little bit of protection there, or they just don't feel comfortable bashing some dude's head in. You know, yeah, I have a feeling in the right hands, those chairs would have been used properly. Now, Ron Simmons definitely protected Rick Steiner here. Actually, all these guys uh, protected each other with the chair shots. And the wrestler yeah. of the week this week on the Power Hour is Flying Brian. I don't think we've seen him yet in this uh, this situation, so that's kind of cool that he gets one of these before the end of the year. And then we move on to the following day, December 2nd. We're missing the NWA Pro Show for the remainder of the year. So another reminder to anyone who may have any November or December NWA Pros for 1989, please hit us up at WrestleCopia at gmail.com or on Twitter. You can DM us, DM us anytime. At Wrestling Grenade, that's at R A S S L I N Grenade. Let us know; we'll we'll grab it off of you. We'd love to have it for archival purpose. If it's from uh, weeks gone by that we've already covered, and moving forward, we'd love to have them just so we can review them. I'd love to do one more Lance Russell and Bob Cottle show before we close this thing out, but it's not meant to be here this week. But we will move on to Worldwide. Also uh, for December second, taped back on uh, November twentieth in Columbus, Ohio, as well. And this is Terry Funk's debut as Chris Cruz's new co-host. This is yet another episode that was thought to be missing forever, Steve. It's been on Earth, and it's kind of cool because it's Terry Funk's actual debut as a color commentator. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> I guess you can go ahead and go to your next bit of news here, but uh, I got something to say about uh, his little co-host here. Okay, well, it's just Terry uh, looks like he's having fun. Everything's coming. He's smiling. He just sounds happy. He may not be happy that he had to retire, but he's enjoying life, it seems, anyway, as he introduces Chris Cruz, or as Terry used to affectionately call him, the Crispy Cruiser. Yeah. He looks kind of shitty. Um, <laughs> Chris Cruz? <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know if you picked up on it. He just seems like he had an attitude. Terry Funk was trying to open the show, and... He wanted to do it, and then Chris Cruz just kept on running through the card of who's going to be on the show. And uh, Funk seems a little flustered a little bit. Now, he doesn't really care, but, you know, he just like, this dude needs to shut the hell up kind of deal. And then they were going back and forth. It was very awkward. Felt a little uncomfortable at first. And I'm just like, man, Chris Cruz is an ass right now when it comes to that. So, yeah, it was very awkward. Yeah, and Funk with anybody right now could be a little awkward because his commentary is not exactly the best here early on anyway, in his uh, commentary run, the show does kick off the Steiner brothers promo though. They're not the biggest nor the baddest tag team in the company, but they are the toughest. So you're not the baddest, but you're the toughest. All these words feel the same to me, but whatever it's the Steiner. So I guess it doesn't have to make sense. And I wrote, what is Rick doing? Was that was him making the noises, right? I mean, it had to be him. Like I was confused. I thought my, I, I thought like there was a ghost in my house for him and he was like, hello. And it was, it was really weird. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what he was doing. And Scott was even asking him what the hell is he doing? I, I, if they're talking like Scott's still doing that gimmick where he's talking as if he just got his ribs destroyed. Like when doom first beat him up, it sounds yeah. ridiculous. Right. And then half the time I have no idea what Rick's staying in. Like my, my notes here for Rick, it says Rick rambles about nothing. Like I have no idea what he's doing. I have no idea what he's saying. And, um, 
I just tune these out. They're stupid. I it get was, it. They're your champions. It was, you it was just really TV, weird. Scotty was cutting this promo, and then all of a sudden, I heard it three or four times during the promo. Hello. Hello. It was almost like the old uh, Toasty thing from Mortal Kombat. Uh, Rick just kind of doing these weird noises. And the first time I heard it, it was I, Alex. I, and uh, I, <laughs> maybe it was Alex. And uh, I had never heard Alex's <laughs> voice before, so I didn't know what he sounded like. But yeah, I just at first I thought it was like mystery science theater style, like somebody that worked for the, the syndicated television pr- t- station, like played a prank, put it in there and it just kept happening. And I'm like, the fuck is going? It was really weird, weird shit. Even for Rick Steiner, it was weird. <laughs> we kick off the action with Gary Michael Capetta in the ring. I can dig that. Unfortunately, he announces the Z-Man. Taking on Agent Steel here, Chris Cruz says to Terry Funk, what would be your strategy in a match against a guy like this? Funk says, beat him in 30 seconds. To which Chris Cruz replies, I don't know that you can beat a guy like the Z-Man in 30 seconds, Terry. Funk says, I was talking about Agent Steel. So they're trying their best Bobby and Gorilla here anyway, as the Z-Man actually lands a release German suplex on Steel. I wrote, who woke his ass up? Brian Pillman? Is Z-Man trying to do wrestling moves now? Unfortunately, he gets the win with a sleeper hold in a minute and 11 seconds. So my final note is, now just change your finisher. Uh, yeah, Z-Man's terrible, man. I, I can't even stand to watch his matches. It's like, what the hell happened to this dude? Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't remember him being this bad moving forward. At some point, he does get better. It's not, it's not hard to do, but he does get better than this. It may, it may have been the, the talent that he was working with and against at the time as well. But yeah, this is... Not good. I didn't know he was this awful for this longer period of time here. I didn't either. And this makes you wonder, like, he came in looking so terrible. I wonder if they looked at him like, yeah, this dude is not going to give us anything. Let's just give him nothing. Stick him with Pillman? (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll stick him with Pillman and see if that works. But they they give him nothing, like, leading up to this. He had no feud, no angle, no nothing. He's just squashing jobbers. So he didn't. He must have not impressed to where he's probably one of those guys that's quiet and just sits in the back and I know he's out there for real, but uh, right. it's just like when when he came to TV, they probably forgot about him. I was like, oh, shit, we forgot Z-Man. <laughs> Get him out there, you know, that sort of deal. I, they got so much going on as far as uh, angles and stuff. It just makes you wonder that he's one of those guys that just slipped through the cracks, and for six months he didn't get anything. That's It's very possible. We move on with the show. It's the Starcade update with Joe Pettacino. He says, nobody's talking about Doom versus the Skyscrapers. I wrote, that would have been interesting had it happened. And then we get another Steiner's promo here. Then last week, we get a clip from Lex Luger beating up Brian Pillman in a match that was supposed to take place between the two. Stinger out to make the save for Pillman's behalf. And then a Lex Luger promo, which I wrote a replay, I think, from last week. If it's not, it's the same old stuff, which we've been accustomed to with Luger in the past as well. One clean swoop, though that, that type of line of uh, promo there. As we move on with the total package in the ring, U.S. champion Lex Luger against Alex Porto. I wrote, dude is just over. Lex Luger is the ultimate heel right now, and he is getting pops galore. Funk talks about the November to remember, the dream match month. That's over. He says this will be the December to dismember for Lex, as he is the FC. I guess Funk thought that sounded cool. Chris Cruz asks him, what's an FC? Terry refers to him as the future champ. Lex Luger picks up the win here with a superplex. Two minutes and 19 seconds. Yeah, he's definitely over. The FC, I wonder if he, if Terry Funk's like a soccer fan <laughs> or something like that. How they have those uh, those FCs at the end of their name or well, I don't even know what the hell it means in soccer. 
it does sound interesting. It sounds like something Terry Funk would say. But uh, now my first note here was he got a huge pop uh, by the fans in Columbus. So he definitely was over. I don't know what caused it. But uh, when, when you're a heel and you're doing things that naturally fit your persona and your attitude and it's believable, you're going to get over it. It's, it's not rocket science. Now, and, people um, loved Rick Rude so, for that reason. People loved uh, certain eras, Shawn Michaels for that reason. Uh, a lot of those guys, they were just yeah. uh, larger versions of their real selves. And it's like, this guy is really an asshole. That is so awesome. And people just mm-hmm. cheer it. <laughs> And to be honest, like this is Lex Luger all the time. Man. This is—it's uh, not even like amped up. <laughs> this is just him. From reading his book, yeah, this is him all the time, twenty-four-seven. He lived it. His this is the way he was, and um, it worked. It definitely show, worked. Show goes on. We see a clip from the Ric Flair and Great Muda match from World Championship Wrestling. The disqualification after the uh, Dragon Master interfered, and then of course Buzz Sawyer and Muda laid Ric Flair out with Sting already gone from the building. Then it's promo time with Gary Hart and Buzz Sawyer. They talk about Ric Flair. Buzz says he cares more about the Japanese yen than the NWA World Heavyweight title. As we go into a break, and there's commercials on this show, and I noted you need to call 1-900-909-JEFF, Steve, as in DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince and listen to that recording. God, they had a 900 number for everyone in the late 80s from Freddy Krueger's Nightmares to DJ Jazzy Jeff here. Just tremendous era to be alive. Yeah, I heard a commercial earlier for like Freddy trivia, and you could if you you could win like five hundred dollars a week on the trivia, and then right. the, the grand prize was to be like an extra in like Freddy Six. So you know those things were gimmicked all to hell to get you to get to the fifth or sixth question, just so you could be on the line for fifteen twenty minutes, and they got you. Never called them. I never bought into it. Nothing anyone can say. I don't care how famous or how popular. You could never get me to but dial. <laughs> yeah, and you, you weren't no talking things. to anybody live. It was just a recording, and you're paying for this yeah. to listen to them speak. It was different times. I'm paying that's for, for sure. Hulk Hogan to tell me, give me an update on what he's doing on his hotline. When all I gotta do is just watch wrestling, wrestling challenger superstars, and I would hear a promo about what Hulk Hogan's doing right. or who he's fighting with. Makes no sense. Back to the action, well, back to a promo. It's promo time with Ric Flair, Brian Pillman, and Sting. So Pillman kind of still lurking around Flair and Sting here, at least for a little bit. Sting wants revenge at Lex for Clash of the Champions, and he's going to get that revenge at Starcade. Brian Pillman says Lex has everything except he's lacking one thing, heart. Ric Flair says Starcade is bigger than championship belts, bigger than the sport of wrestling. Why well, he's really trying to sell this shit here. And he also says that JTEX and Lex Luger made the mistake and crossed the line. They backstabbed. Luger destroyed the trophies. All these guys are going to pay. And this is where I came up with the brilliant idea, Steve, of renaming JTEX. Terry Funk's gone. The Tex is gone. The J-Lex Corporation. What do you think? J-Lex. I think it could have worked. Lex Luger and Muda. I would have loved to have seen that. Uh, that'd have been a great team. I don't know about the name, so to speak, but uh, <laughs> I think it fits transitions well. <laughs> I can, yeah. I don't it's know if Flex would have liked that because Terry. his name would have been second, and I don't think he would have went for that. But right, it'd have been nice if it was like Terry Funk and Lex Luger. Then you got Flex. Anything could have worked. <laughs> but, uh, no. Hell, kept all yeah. three. That would have been fucking amazing. No, that that would have been nice. But now Against- Luger and Muda would have worked excellent together as a tag team. Yeah, Lex would have loved, hey, you want to do all the work? Go ahead. I don't care. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't want to get tagged in. He I'm not greedy. Just, he would just tag in and 
do his torture rack and show off his his uh, physique and be good to go. There you go. Writes itself. It's time for Pettacino Knows. He talks Gary Hart and Jim Cornette, the managers in the NWA. He says Cornette made the dudes mad. He should have put them out when he had the chance. Now the dudes are going to come back for revenge. That's what the fans man thinks. Anyway, promo time with Doom, Woman, and Nitron. Butch Reed says, don't worry about their identity, but rather worry about the wrath of Doom. Ron Simmons says, not only were they hired to just win matches, but to take all of the teams in the NWA out. Then it's to the ring with Doom, accompanied by Woman and Nitron, taking on Ranger Ross and Wildfire Tommy Rich. Woman is out here in a business suit this week, and I wrote, still yum, Steve, still yum. Oh, yeah. Ranger Ross and former partner Ron Simmons going to get it on here. They were partners that one time, that one time when Ron turned on them in the middle of a tag team title tournament. It's back and forth until the Doom get heat on Tommy Rich, but Rich does manage to hot tag out to Ranger Ross. Ross unloads and nails the combat kick on Ron Simmons and Butch Reed in to break up the count. Leads to a four-way melee with Rich dropkicking Reed out of the ring. Woman then hands Reed her shoe. Jeez. This doesn't feel like 1996 all over again, does it? Or actually, this happened first. So, But anyways, yeah. Woman hands Reed her shoe while Ranger Ross with the O'Connor roll on Ron Simmons. Reed, from behind, nails the shoe in the back of the head of Ross, and the illegal Butch Reed gets the cover and the win. Seven minutes and 54 seconds. This felt very similar to the other Doom match with the Steiners, the O'Connor roll, the interference. The finish was somewhat similar. Of course, Doom do pick up the win here. The only problem I have with this is Doom's new. They need strong wins, and they've looked. You know, you've had cheap finishes with the Steiners, which is understandable because you want to extend that. But it's Ranger Ross and Tommy Rich. Nobody gives a shit. Just let them go in there and win. Uh, you don't need a interference and all that other stuff. Just let them win decisively. I felt um, Doom had an easier time with Rich and Gilbert at the Clash than they did with Rich and Ross here. Yeah, makes no sense. But promo I don't know why, time. I don't know why, no. Yeah, well, you're not booking here in 1989. Although they're, they've been doing a pretty good job for the most part here lately. Um, but yeah, I'm not going to shit on him. It's just it's it's more like a frustration for for me, like looking at it 30 years later. Right. Like th- these are the little things that you could probably done a little differently to really solidify some of these teams or matches. Is just let them get a definitive win. It's not that hard. Yeah, it's just more about keeping everyone strong because of the house shows, I think, to some degree anyway, and making the fans watching feel like they got more of a competitive match than they probably really should have. That makes sense. It's promo time with Oliver Humperdinck. He's got all three Samoans with him. He talks about regressive therapy as he announces they are no longer the SST. They are now the new wild Samoans. Fatu, I had to laugh. This was kind of fun here. Fatu with the uh, <laughs> athletic tape, taping Samoan Savage's face up while Samu's standing on the other side, hitting himself over the head with the chair. So the Samoans at least being entertaining here. I, I took a screenshot of it, I think. I may have trashed it, but I, I'm pretty sure I took a screenshot for our banner or whatever for the uh, right. upload to the, to the podcast place. But uh, like, there's a perfect shot where I think it's uh, – who, who gets it first, Tama? Tama yeah. already has his face like all taped up. Taped up, up when the promo starts. Fatu is in the back stretching out like this long piece, and it looks like he's about to put it on Humperdinck's face, but then he goes over to Samu, and Samu's like, dude, get the hell out of here. You're not doing this shit to me. But he has his eyes real bug out, and he looks really, really, really crazy while he's using the duct tape. Pretty funny. But, yeah, you really don't even care what Humperdinck's saying. Just watch Fatu tape people up with duct tape. Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, fun. 
Back to the ring. It's the Midnight Express with Jim Cornette taking on Bob Emery and Joe Cruz. We get an insert promo from the dudes. Johnny Ace is very mad, Steve. As Shane Douglas implies that the tennis racket is loaded. You think, Shane? Bob Emery power slam on Bobby Eaton. I was impressed. Eaton gave him a power slam. But the Midnights dominate the match otherwise. Eaton works over Emery on the floor while Stan Lane decoys referee Tommy Young. And then we get a double flapjack on Joe Cruz to end this thing in 4 minutes and 33 seconds. Fun little squash there by the Midnights. We move on with a promo. Terry Funk and Chris Cruz with Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express. This is where I noted, did you see the Midnights are starting to wear these long black gloves that go up to their elbows with matching rainbows on their the gloves that actually match the, the ones that they have on their gear. I didn't remember this really, and it really kind of was like off-putting. I was like, this kind of looks stupid. And it's only one pair of gloves, mind you. So like Stan wears his on his right hand, and then Bobby has the other one on his left hand because why pay for two, right? That's right. Um, I noticed it like a few weeks ago as far as on TV. But it did, it, this is before they did the turn of the clash. I seen them wear it, but they didn't. They just kind of got rid of it right after that, and then uh, they started to bring it back. So um, it, it's very weird. Sometimes they wrestle with it on. Sometimes they take it off. Sometimes they put it on after the match. Sometimes they come out with them on. It, it, I don't think they know what to do with it. It's like they bought something and they're trying to figure out what they want to do with it, and then it, I'm assuming it just disappears rather quickly. It looks ridiculous. Corny closes out the promo. He calls the fans here in Columbus losers. Stan Lane says he's disappointed in the ladies in Columbus. They're all fat and inbred. And that's how we conclude this episode of Worldwide before we move (laughs) on to the nighttime program for December 2nd, World Championship Wrestling. The start time was supposed to be at 6 o'clock, but TBS announces it is joined in progress for whatever reason. I'm I'm guessing college because the NBA game hasn't started yet. In fact, this was supposed to start at 6 because it's 7.30, it's the Hawks and the 76ers, it's, or it's 7.35. So I believe there's a missing segment here. I think we missed the opening segment of this 6.05 program. As Jim Ross and Kevin Sullivan host from center stage, we kick things off with Ranger Ross taking on Pat Rose. Sullivan mocks Grenada again. Haven't heard that in about seven, eight months. He did that way back when on Worldwide when he was hosting with Bob Cottle. We get the Ranger Ross leap over the top rope to the floor. Haven't seen that in a while. It was nice to see that before we close out the grenade. Norman comes to ringside. I can't believe they're doing an angle within a match that has nothing to do with the angle, but what a good time to do it. As Ranger Ross has this long-standing arm bar on Pat Rose, we get an angle that has nothing to do with the match as Norman, with his giant teddy bear, comes ringside. Teddy Long then out and steals the bear away from Norman, but Norman takes it right back, and he shoves Teddy Long down. And out comes the key. Norman takes the key the one that Teddy Long's been holding against him all these months. Norman's not afraid anymore. And he chases Teddy Long off. And all during this, it's just a simple arm bar in the ring. And Norman makes a full-blown face turn here. And once that's over with, it's like just like magic, like, cue, like it's a cue or something. Ranger Ross nails the combat kick and picks up the win here in three minutes and ten seconds. Just a dud match to get the Norman angle over. That's all this was. Really nothing. So Norman now full-blown babyface moving forward, and it's promo time with the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette. The dudes don't have a great track record in smarts, or anything else for that matter. The Midnights will put the dudes out again, and tomorrow on the main event, it's Bobby Eaton challenging Ric Flair for the World Heavyweight title. They really pushed that here on World Championship. I wouldn't expect anything less with Cornette being able to cut a promo. And it's back to the ring. World Tag Team Champion Steiner Brothers against Rick Fargo and Brody Chase. We get an insert promo from Scott. They have three teams at Starcade, 
but they have something special for Doom, and Woman too if she gets in the way. Rick begins the match wrestling with his belt on backwards. Brody Chase completely fucks up a Frankensteiner. As Scotty tries to deliver the move, Chase leans backwards, doesn't take a bump at all, and falls over sideways. Did you see what happened after that, Steve? Brody Chase is a very lucky man. Scott Steiner damn near shoots on the guy because he causes Scotty to damn near break his neck, refused to, job guy, didn't know what he was doing, refused to take the Frankensteiners, chickened out during the middle of the move, caused Scotty to damn near break his neck. So when Brody bumps over to the side, lays down, Scott jumps up and clenches his fist and pulls it back. And he was about one second away from ending Brody's life, I think, there. But Scott, cooler heads prevailed. Thank God this wasn't like another year later. I think that might have been the end of Brody Chase. But it was uh, you, you saw a shoot or damn near a shoot breakout right here on this, this match because Scott was serious when he pulled that fist. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, you, one, one thing real quick. Um, this is the match I was talking about last week where <laughs> blatant DQ right in front of the ref and they do absolutely nothing. Rick actually wrestled with his belt on. Yeah. And then when he took it off, he blasted Rick, uh, Brody, Rick, Rick Fargo in the head with it. And the yeah. ref is staring mm-hmm. right at him, and they do nothing. And, like, it, it was blatant. It should have been a DQ, but obviously it's a squash match, so nobody really cares, but it's just not consistent. But um, anyway, no, he, he dodged that. And uh, Scott got up, and he had that fist cocked, and I don't know how the hell Scott calmed himself down. I, I really don't. Because you can read his lips. He's kind of cussing. You can see it. Like he has, you know, when you get pissed, you bite your mouth, your lip, or you you pull your t- mouth down and you clench yeah, your teeth, happy. and you're about he to wasn't happy. just to do something bad. And he's about to do something he sh- would have regretted, I'm sure. And the best part is, is NWA, so we would have seen it because it's in the can. Once <laughs> yeah, just left it there. out there. Oh shit, we forgot <laughs> to edit that out. Oh well, <laughs> we're in a lawsuit for this, and we forgot to edit it out. Now the whole world's seen it. But no, he somehow he stopped and picked him up and did the belly to belly and yeah. just finished it. Uh, that's not the Scott Steiner I know. Uh, no, that that dude's like, very lucky this wasn't like uh, Big Papa Pump era Scott Steiner. That dude would have been dead. Oh, yeah. And another thing, too, is just makes you wonder if um, he's on his best behavior. You know, they just got the belts. He's relatively new to the business. Uh, he's getting pushed to the moon. Uh, not worth the risk. Uh, so definitely cooler heads prevailed. He still cared at this point. And thank God Rick Fargo is probably thinking, thank God for that. Brody so, Chase. Brody Chase. Yeah, Brody Chase. Rick Fargo ain't that stupid. At least I'd hope not. So, yeah, so he botches the Frankensteiner, no thanks to Brody Chase, and he damn near punches his face off, and then finally he decides, I'm just going to take this thing home. Rolling belly to belly ends it, like you said, three minutes and eight seconds. I wrote, damn it, this could have been the first Frankensteiner finish. Uh, But unfortunately, it gets botched, and he has to finish it off with his uh, old trusty belly to belly. The announcers sell it like Chase blocked the move. They even show it in Instagram. I couldn't believe that. They showed the botched Frankensteiner in slow motion instant replay and sold it on commentary as if Chase actually blocked, he countered the Frankensteiner. And he shifted it. What's that tell you? Well, no, that that wasn't even the end of it. Sullivan was saying that during the match. It was during, this is what they really tried to sell in 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 the replay was that when the move got botched, Chase still took the bump to the side, so they said that Scotty had the wherewithal to change up the move and shifted the move sideways. I was I was not buying this at all. It was I, I, I was why would you show this it. in the replay? Why? 
I have no idea. And the fact that they were trying to sell it, that a jobber blocked Scott Steiner's like this new move that nobody's really seen before. That was a bad call. Too. And it's good. It's going to be the finisher for him at some point going forward. And you're you're telling me a jobber can block it. Uh, <laughs> luckily it's a move that was ahead of its time as far as American wrestling goes. And let's be honest, some dude decides that Scott Steiner shouldn't be doing Frankensteiners. It just the visual of it is insane. So um, it's it's one of those things that it was so good and so ahead of its time that it didn't matter that they sold it that way. But that's not a good look for a movie you're trying to get over. Show goes on with the Starcade '89 update with Gordon Soley. Then it's Doom to the ring with Woman and Nitron taking on Jason Walker and Ricky Nelson. Doom, of course, just maul the job guys and win with the standing Anderson armbar. Butch Reed on Walker gets the win in four minutes and fifty seconds. So it's an armbar week for Doom as we get highlights of Ric Flair against Great Muda from last week and a promo from Flair this week. Flair addresses last week again. He says, Muda gave him a great match, but at Starcade, Muda will have to pay his dues. Next week, Ric Flair promises he will present the biggest surprise in his wrestling career right here on World Championship Wrestling next week. And back to the ring, U.S. champion. Total package, Lex Luger against Pablo Crenshaw. We want Sting chants begin very loudly at the beginning of the match. Lex Luger gets cocky and winds up taking a drop kick from behind by Crenshaw. This is the same guy that didn't know what he was doing earlier in the week. Luger goes running off the ropes, but he stops short of a drop kick. It's just too bad Pablo didn't even throw it until after Luger had already stopped. A little slow here, job guy. And then it's power slam time and the torture rack by the total package as he picks up the win. Two minutes and 34 seconds, but he won't release the rack, which lures Sting to the ring. It's Sting to the ring to save Pablo Crenshaw here, but Luger actually lured him in, and he attacks the Stinger. But Sting winds up reversing a whip into the corner. He tries the Stinger splash, but Lex escapes by the skin of his teeth. So they're really building to this Lex and Sting match at Starcade. Yeah, and this, this seems to be what the feud's going to be going forward even past Starcade, because this has been going on for a few months. So you, you want that payoff. Obviously, we never get it, but um, it, you can kind of see where they're heading. And uh, we've talked about this last couple of weeks. It just makes you wonder if I know Flair picks Sting. So you you think if it was Sting getting the title, then Luger would have been next man up um, after I'm assuming Flair would get his rematches. But Flair could also have took a little bit of time away, uh, kind of like, after the two long feuds that he had with Funk and Mo- uh, Steamboat, and then obviously going into Sting, so uh, he could have took a few time, a few months off, and got Luger in there right away. That'd have been awesome because that, that feels like what they're building towards with all this. As these are the guys going forward, it's Luger and Sting. Flair and Muda seems old because it's been going on all year. It feels like so these these are the two that they're kind of pushing towards, and um, it's just unfortunate we never get that. But uh, this this segment was really good. Uh, I liked it were followed up by a pre-tape promo from Sting. They should have just left that segment alone, and it would have been just fine. But instead, they haven't learned yet. It's a Sting promo as he talks to the Iron Man tournament at Starcade. He says he's made of iron, and he's ready. Way to go, Sting. And Sting to the ring, taking on Dan Devine. Sting dominates this one. The job guy misses a corner charge. Stinger with a press slam and the Scorpion picks up the win here pretty easily. Two minutes and 30 seconds. It's your new favorite team, Steve, the New Zealand Militia, coming to the ring by Lord Littlebrook, taking on Carl Nelson and Mike Thor. We get an insert promo from Littlebrook here. He says he represents the United Kingdom. 
Now, that makes sense. Little Brook is from the United Kingdom, but he's managing the New Zealand militia. My geography can be off sometimes, Steve, but I'm pretty sure they're on two different continents. <laughs> Your geography's not off here. The militia do get the win here and with the double gourd buster, four minutes and two seconds. I just wrote, what an odd choice to pair with Little Brook, although he has all the charisma. I'll give him that much in the team. And maybe that's why they did it. it could so be. to be honest, like really the only dude who's from where they say he's from is Lord Littlebrook, right? <laughs> the other two aren't New Zealand or UK, right? Who? The militia? Yeah. Uh, well, Rip Morgan's from New Zealand. Jack, Jack Victory's oh, okay. obviously not from New Zealand. New Jer- what? What, Jersey. Jersey. He's a Jersey boy. Yeah. 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 Jersey Jack Victory. Okay. That's well, one gimmick well, okay. they didn't well, use. I'll take, that. I'll take that back then. Rip Morgan, you can represent the New Zealand militia, buddy. You, you fit the bill. Pre-tape promo from the Road Warriors and Paul Ellering in regards to Starcade. Animal says they've seen the skyscrapers jump the Steiners from behind like they're so big and bad. Now they see Doom is coming out here with a lady. They'd never let a stupid girl tell them what to do. Wow, is that outdated. And the Steiners, the roadies aren't friends with the Steiners. They're not friends with anybody, but they'll help the Steiners kick some butt against the skyscrapers and doom. Anyway, Hawk says it's Starcade 89. That's their kind of night. It's the night of the Iron Man. Of course, their theme song is Iron Man. They'll see who the true king of the hill is. They've been on top for a long time, and they don't plan to leave it. Any thoughts on Typical the promo? Yeah, I just wonder if you have any thoughts <laughs> I'll, I'll on put the. Down here like, uh, they never let a stupid them. girl tell them what to do. <laughs> just like, what was the point? Uh, yeah, they would never walk out of a room with a stinking woman trying to tell them what to do. I thought that's what he said, but yeah, either way, it definitely fits. <laughs> I, I guess it fits 1989. It's a little. I mean. You can't really judge what happened in 1989 based off of 2020, 2021 standards. It's not fair to anybody. Well, um, I wasn't even trying to do that. I was trying to do that by 89 no, I'm standards. I'm not even saying it's chivalrous. I'm just, or, uh, or the opposite of chivalrous. But what I'm saying is, is it just felt like, what was the necessity? That you're a baby face. You shouldn't be running down a gender. You know what? I, it just seemed weird. I think it's just more because of, of just woman. Like right. they, I think you used the woman. And when you use the word, word woman, it refers to woman. I, I think that's what he was going with there. So that makes sense because he's not going to take anything from woman or any woman telling him what to do, that sort of stuff. Um, that's just a mentality, I guess. But either way, it is what it is. Really nothing to really say about it. Too bad it's not the November to remember dream match month anymore. What happened to that anyway? God, it's, it started with a fizzle and then just kind of oh disappeared. It's the, the Midnight Express taking on the Dynamic Dudes. What a dream match that would have been for November. The Midnights are out second, so the dudes leave the ring and attack the Midnights on the floor. Now, I wonder whose idea that was when this was put together. They go after Jim Cornette as the heels run out of the ring. The Midnights wrestling with the black gloves again now. As the dudes dominate in between stalling for the Midnight Express early on, Jim Cornette distracts while Bobby Eaton tries to drop the top rope so that Shane can take a fall over the top, but Shane kind of gets tied up there or stuck, and he doesn't really go over, so Eaton has to grab him and pull him over. I, I wrote LOL, obviously. It's botchamania there. Bobby Eaton with a chair on Shane Douglas on the outside, and Cornette even gets a cheap shot in as well. The Midnights wind up getting heat on Shane before Eaton misses an Alabama jam, and it's hot tag time to Johnny Ace and Stan Lane in as well. Four-way melee follows with Ace and the O'Connor roll. Boy, we're back to this every week. 
the O'Connor roll spot on Stan Lane, but Corny is up on the apron, causing Johnny Ace to come over and pop Corny one. And that's when Stan Lane with the tennis racket right in front of the referee blasts Johnny Ace, and Nick Patrick calls for the DQ. Eight minutes and 16 seconds, the dudes pick up a DQ win here. Just continuing the feud. Is this is this it? Like, I know there's obviously an angle next week, but how far, how long do they go into this? Like, uh, the dudes got, are gone. By through the end of the year. Right? Uh, the, it continues at least on the house shows through the end of the year. In fact, I got a couple of great sound bites that Cornette uh, told in regards to the feud off TV. Actually, I'm going to play one of them for you here before we're done tonight. You'll you'll enjoy it. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> And there's another Sounds good one. Good. There's another good one too when we close out the final week of the NWA here in '89 as well. As we continue on with this episode of WCW, it's promo time with Buzz Sawyer and Gary Hart. Buzz doesn't care about Ric Flair's surprise. He only cares about the yen, baby. But you're here in America, Buzz. So shouldn't you just care about the dollar? Gary even says that Flair's surprise should be that he'll lay the belt in the hands of JTEX Corporation and retire because they are simply too strong. Gary Hart says he loves surprises. He invites Ric Flair to bring it next week. As we close out the show, six-man tag team action. It's the great Muda, the Dragon Master, and Buzz Sawyer teaming up against Larry Santo, Tim Hughes, and Mike Hart. The Dragon Master now in more stereotypical, quote-unquote, oriental fighting gear, if you will, here. I wrote lame. He should have kept that suit on, Steve. It went on, The wheels came off this the minute he changed. The minute the hat went away... The wheels were falling off, and now he's not as impressive as, as he was the first couple weeks. Also, he's getting in the ring now, which just really hurt. The bell rings with the Kendo Nagasaki. Here's the dragon with some lame old-style judo chops and stomps. And they note the announcers note he's banned from wrestling in Japan for hanging with undesirables. Steve, I wrote LOL again. It's just silly some of the shit they say to get these guys over. Buzz Sawyer in the ring with a power slam and diving splash on Larry Santo and the heels get the win to close the show in two minutes and 22 seconds as the hard sell flares big surprise, the biggest surprise of his life next week on World Championship Wrestling. Yeah, that was the selling point at the end of this one. Uh, it was nice. You know, you had the promo and then you had Grey Muda and then the commentary was definitely selling it really hard that the biggest surprise is coming. So uh, excellent job to get you in intrigued and ready to go for next week. We move on to December 3rd and the NWA main event also taped in Columbus. Man, they had a lot of matches at that Columbus TV taping back on November 20th. It's Jim Cornette and Bobby Eaton with a promo to kick off the show. Bobby Eaton wrestling Ric Flair for the world title night. Eaton says he has always wanted a shot at the world heavyweight title. He's going to push Flair further than Flair's ever been pushed before. Ric Flair responds. He says, many say Bobby Eaton is the greatest wrestler in the world today. Eaton has his chance to prove it. This is it for the first time ever. It's Bobby Eaton versus Ric Flair, and Cornette's pointed this out many, many, many times. Ric Flair had the book, and he purposely booked this match because he has always wanted to wrestle Bobby Eaton. That tells you everything you need to know about Bobby Eaton. <laughs> if, if nobody, you've never seen Bobby Eaton work, you never heard anything about him, and then you go and take that little excerpt that you just provided about what Ric Flair did, he got the book. And one of the first, one of the main guys that he wanted to get on the on the show with was Bobby Eaton. That tells you everything you need to know. That's how good he was. And it's great that the the Midnight's had just turned heel because the dynamic is perfect now. Because you need a heel and a face in in that scenario, and I I really like it. Yeah, it's definitely not their clash match. 
No. Definitely. Uh, it whet the appetite to make you want to see more in a more meaningful match. Uh, it's fun. Definitely. And they do have a return match uh, in a few weeks. I don't think it's here in 89 on 4. I think it's early in 90. But we're going to get to that at the end of the show. As we kick the show off, it's the SST or the Wild Samoan, whatever the hell. I think they're still the SST here based on the taping. And Samoan Savage and six-man action against Rick Fargo, Chris Allen, and Mike Justice. The Samoans attack the job guys. They maul the job guys. And Fatu with a quick splash off the top on Allen. Gets the win in a minute and 45 seconds. Pre-tape promo by the Road Warriors and Paul Ellering. At Starcade, they say the Scrapers and Doom will get payback for interfering in the roadies' matches. Hawk says it's almost Christmas, so the heel teams will be singing all they want for Christmas <laughs> is their two front teeth. What a rush. Was, this was funny. He's like, they, they'll be walking around looking pretty stupid without their two front teeth, but they already look stupid for getting in the ring with them. It was pretty damn funny. Hawk just, rumors I mean, are he just got in front of a camera, went to turn red, he just said whatever the hell came to his mind. And, right. um, That's pretty that obvious. Dude, that dude a has a warped, he has a warped, coked out mine. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's really all you can say. We also he, get a Lex Luger there. promo on this show, and it's the same routine by the total package. In fact, that by this point, I got tired of figuring out if these were new or replays because... It's the same thing. He's going to be, he beat everybody in one clean, clean swoop or here he says clean sweep. He gets it right this time over everyone at the clash. And he's going to do it again at Starcade. And he's eventually going to become the next world heavyweight champion as we go into commercial break. And it just, oh, tis the season, Steve. We're in December and it's on TBS tonight after the main event. What a great night. I, I like to think that I watched this when it aired. Because you get an hour of wrestling, Bobby Eaton versus Ric Flair, and the minute that's over, 7 p.m., it's a Christmas story, Steve, tonight on TBS. I love it. Now it's on all day during Christmas. So, yeah, I was uh, going to say, uh, you know, fast forward about five, six years, and it's on 24 <laughs> hours on TBS. But here in 89, you got it once or twice if you were lucky, and uh, I always enjoyed it back in the day. I, I did way, way before it became the marathon. Yeah. It's time for Doom. And they're taking on Ranger Ross and Tommy Rich. Of course, this is from Worldwide, so we'll skip over this. This is the match where Reed actually nails Ranger Ross with woman's shoe to get the win. That was 7 minutes, 54 seconds. And we move on to another Starcade update with Gordon Sully. felt very WNN-esque here, but it's a Starcade update. And we head to the main event. It's already that time of the show. World champion Ric Flair taking on beautiful Bobby Eaton with Jim Cornette. Of course, they're now heels. As a feeling out process starts the match, they trade some side headlocks. Ric Flair nails some chops that send Bobby Eaton out to the floor. Back inside, Bobby nails a cheap shot during a break in the corner. Flair does the old Flair flip up into the apron. Bobby Eaton tries to smash Flair into the buckle, but Flair reverses and nails Bobby, goes to the top rope, and comes off the top on a beautiful Bobby. Flair then works the leg of Eaton, but Eaton counters a backdrop with a neckbreaker and sends Flair out to the floor. Eaton tries a big elbow drop on the floor. He clearly misses it, but they sell it like he didn't. And it's back and forth on the outside before Eaton comes off the top rope with a double axe handle back inside. And then a superplex on the Nature Boy by beautiful Bobby. And once again for the third time, it's back to the floor. So Bobby Eaton can take that big backdrop he loved to take on the concrete, not on the padding, on the concrete in the aisleway. Bobby Eaton, oh, he used to take this move all the time even when it looked like he couldn't even go anymore. This was his go-to spot. What were you thinking, Bobby? So Flair backdrops Eaton on the concrete and sends him back in the ring for the knee drop and the figure four leg lock. 
Cornette then interferes to save Bobby Eaton, and Flair picks up the win on a disqualification. 12 minutes, 53 seconds, and then the post-match shenanigans begin. Ric Flair blocks a Jim Cornette shot, chops Cornette, chops on Bobby Eaton, figure four on Corny, but Bobby Eaton with the Alabama jam off the top rope on Ric Flair causes him to break the hold, and Bobby Eaton holds Ric Flair for a racket shot. But Flair ducks, and Corny hits Bobby with the racket instead. Flair then decks Cornette, bumps Eaton and Cornette out of the ring, and it was a wild, fun TV match. No winner, no definitive winner, but it was a fun match. I I, I liked it. Yeah, it was pretty entertaining. Uh, A lot of action on the floor, which was different uh, for TV matches anyway. You didn't get a lot. I mean, they went to the floor, but you didn't get a whole lot of it. Like long time, long stretches on the floor. So seeing that was pretty cool. Um, You can tell clearly Flair uh, has a ton of respect for Bobby Eaton and uh, made him look like a million bucks. I was kind of surprised by the DQ finish, to be honest with you. I figured I figured Flair would win either with a pin, like a roll-up, or maybe even make him submit with the figure four. But uh, getting the DQ win, uh, that just goes to show you that this didn't feel like it was a, uh, a one-shot deal, kind of like what you just said, how they fought later on in a few weeks anyway. So it did everything it needed to do. It was a great main event match for TV, and uh, I was entertained. Very, very good. I loved that they kept Stanley completely out of this. No run-ins, no interference bullshit. I mean, outside of the Same. manager. I love that Stanley was a non-factor completely, that Bobby Eaton was the total focal point here. And it was fun, too, watching Flair get the, uh, get get both of them at the end here. It was a, just a fun segment overall. I enjoyed it for a main event. That's definitely a, a great match for a main event show anyway. The issue here is Jim Hurd, once he saw this match, Gave Ric Flair shit like you wouldn't believe, Steve. What are you doing? You can't go out there and you can't beat a fucking tag team wrestler, one of the shittiest teams in my company. You can't even pin him clean in the ring. And, you know, Flair's trying to save Bobby's face. Keep Bobby over. Keep Bobby, you know, they're giving him the point. They're the Midnight Express. And Hurd gives Flair all this shit because Flair didn't beat him definitively in the middle of the ring. You're supposed to be the world champion and you can't pin a tag team wrestler. And so... Cornette rebooks the match and has it fixed the next time they wrestle. I don't remember. I haven't seen it in a long time, so I'm not going to give you too many specifics, but I know it ends with Flair laying out everyone. Lays out Cornette, lays out Lane, lays out Eaton, pins Eaton, and Jim Cornette actually booked that specifically as a fuck you to Jim Hurd. Is that definitive enough for you, asshole? And that's basically what ends, <laughs> winds up happening in the, in the rematch. Good. Dude has no clue. Like, okay, I know you don't like the Midnights, but they're in a feud with the Dynamic Dudes, so they're relevant. I mean, to a degree, I guess. They haven't been in the title picture in a long time, but when you're booking a TV show, you need as many people over as you can get to where if you need them for anything, you can stick them in there and they're good to go. If if Ric Flair came out here and destroyed Bobby Eaton in four minutes, how are you ever going to take the Midnight Express serious again? Like You're not. I get it. He's the world champion, but the Midnights have been one of the best tag teams for the last five or six years. You can't just go out there and kill them. Uh, that's not how it works. Just because they're tag wrestlers doesn't mean they're shit wrestlers or they can't work singles. Like That's so narrow-minded and simple thinking that uh, it, it's amazing that he was put in a position to control the company for as long as he was because he clearly – has no idea what the hell's going on. Yeah, I uh, agree. Agreed totally there. 
And um, I know over on the Monday Warfare show, it's all about the ratings. And here on the Grenade, we don't really discuss ratings, at least except for when they got to the bottom of the barrel back in the middle of the summer. We kind of pointed that out like, yikes, what is happening here? But other than that, we really haven't focused on ratings in the last several episodes of the Grenade. That's because of the impressive turnaround during Ric Flair's tenure here as Booker. I shouldn't just keep giving Flair all the props, though. Cornette and Sullivan play a huge part as well in this. But together as a collective unit, tremendous. As this week's episode of World Championship Wrestling with the Midnights and the Dudes drew a 3.6 rating. That's what Nitro was doing in 1996. It's the highest of the entire year. Can you believe that? Dudes with the highest rating of the entire year. Something tells me they weren't the reason for this draw, but they drew nearly 2 million homes which is the most homes ever to watch a regular world championship wrestling or Georgia championship wrestling show on TBS. Crazy. And then the main event for December 3rd with Flair and Eaton, it drew a 3.3. So just a little less than the world championship wrestling show power hour with Steiners and doom strong 2.2 for a Friday night as well. The NWA rating was the third highest of the year. The main event rating, I'm sorry, was the third highest of the year only behind Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat, which was a replay from one of the pay-per-views, you know, when they were giving shit away. And then Ric Flair and that, that weird Ric Flair micro Rotunda show that, that did the big number for whatever reason, I guess. I guess you can just look and believe it's Ric Flair drawing the number. It's certainly not Mike Rotunda. But I, I have to think Bob Eaton helped here a little more this week. So there you have it. Yeah. The World Championship Wrestling Show, highest rating of the year. The main event show, third highest of the year. Things are really starting to ascend. Yeah. Give, give the dudes their credit, man. <laughs> no just it just goes to show like I, there was really nothing on the saturday night show i don't know if it was the earlier start or what the deal was if they had a good lead-in to a college football game or something like that i don't know uh i couldn't tell you it just feels like that feud between the dudes and the midnights just no matter how terrible the dynamic dudes were like we've talked about this it's meaningful because of how good the story was like nobody really cares to be honest with you, about how great the dynamic dudes work in the ring. They may not be over to a, to a certain degree, but the feud's over and the angle's over, and you either want to see the dudes, like hat, like maybe one-fourth of the crowd wants to see the dudes get their revenge, and the other three-fourths wants to see the dudes get the shit kicked out of them from their tag team, the Midnight Express. So it definitely worked. I don't – it's not the dudes that worked. It's just that's how good the story was. And right. – um uh, this goes to show you the genius of Jim Cornette. Uh, I can see why that rating did well. We move into the second Is that the week? match after the clash. That's the match. What? That's the revenge match, right? Yeah, that's their first. Yeah, this is their first uh, real match, I think. We move on to the second week of December in '89. Uh, here it's December eighth, and the NWA Power Hour taped in Pensacola, Florida, on November twenty seventh. New Zealand Militia with Lord Littlebrook taking on Mike Diamond and Huggy Bear Brown. Wow. <laughs> and uh, the militia with a wrecking ball and then on diamond and then the double gourd buster ends this five minutes and 20 seconds. Littlebrook puts the boots to diamond post-match and then struts around the ring. I wrote Littlebrook is far more charismatic than either of the militia here. As we go to WNN and ah, ah, the man himself, Gordon Soley, he thinks the great Muda will win the Iron Man tournament. And then he talks about the Iron Team tournament. He says, Doom haven't been together long enough. The Steiners have no leader. They are the only team without a manager in this. He says, no, a hard no to the skyscrapers just because, and for very good reason, obviously. And Sully finally picks the Road Warriors 
to become the Iron Team. So it's Muda and the Roadies, says Gordon Soley. As we go to the action, it's Kevin Sullivan taking on Scott Armstrong. This had to be another pull-in from Sullivan or, or uh, <laughs> Cornette. Of course, Cornette, big fans and friends of the Armstrong family. And Sullivan worked the Alabama and Knoxville territories. He, he knows Bob Armstrong pretty well. So Scotty brought in here. At least, I don't think he's here again, but I'm not sure. We'll have to see. Scott Armstrong looks good early on with dropkick. He works a headlock on Sullivan. Sullivan with a nasty punch clocks Armstrong to take over and works in a chin lock. Scott counters a pile driver into a backdrop, but gets tied up in the tree of woe. But as Sullivan charges in, Scotty moves out of the way from a running knee. Scott makes the comeback, but finally runs into a knee from Sullivan in the corner. And Sullivan with a pile driver and the double stomp ends this in 8 minutes and 51 seconds. It's pretty cool seeing uh, Scott Armstrong on there. Uh, it's, sometimes it's weird, like they uh, they just bring dudes in randomly. You know, like they're gone, or you don't ever see them. Like uh, early on, I think it was September when we saw Brad Armstrong and Ric Flair on uh, Worldwide wrestling a match, and then Brad's gone. We don't see him no more. And it's just like these dudes just come and go. And it's like you, when you're paying attention, you're watching it. It's like, oh, that's cool. He's back, or you see him. That's cool. It's Brad Armstrong. This should be interesting. And then so. It was nice to see Scott Armstrong here, for sure. Yeah, I think I think this is just more about the geography of it all. Of course, the Armstrongs worked quite a bit in Alabama, Scott Armstrong especially here in the late 80s, and here we are in Pensacola, which was a part of the old Gulf Coast stomping ground. So I'm assuming he's just kind of already there. They're like, hey, man, you want to, hey, brother, you want to come in and uh, do a job for me, brother, or something like that, maybe. Maybe that's how the conversation went, I don't know. But it's time for Funk's Grill. It's with Gary Hart and Buzz Sawyer, but have no fear. They don't show up in the actual Funk's Grill. They're live via satellite, quote unquote, when they talk to Terry Funk. Terry Funk welcomes the simple-minded partners. Ah, he's just kidding. He's a babyface now. He officially retires today. And from now on, he will only be the announcer on Worldwide Wrestling with Chris Cruz. Funk challenges Gary Hart to a fight in a dumpster for $1,000 a minute for however long Hart can last. That's when Buzz and Gary Hart joined the show in some other studio somewhere via a monitor. They refused to come in to Funk's Grill. Hart and Buzz say they hate quitters, and Terry Funk is a quitter. Funk lives in a trash can with his ugly wife and kids. Wow. The people who run JTEX aren't pleased with Funk's early retirement. He's missing dates, and they're not happy. The Mad Dog begins to go crazy during the promo as Funk warns Hart to leave his family out of it or he'll be gumming his grits for breakfast. He closes it by calling Gary Hart his favorite word, the slime ball. What'd you think? Uh, it was it was okay. I didn't understand the challenge that uh, Funk was doing. <laughs> it sounded like, like a Gary uh, Funk challenge. Yeah, just having fun. Um, he's like, I'm going to challenge him to a match. And he's like, oh, wait, no, I'm not. I'm retired. I'm not going to challenge him to a match. I'm going to challenge him to a fight in a dumpster. at Gary Hart's house in like a dumpster. It was yeah. just stupid. But then <laughs> like Gary Hart brought up his wife and kids, and that's when Terry Funk got serious. And once Terry Funk got serious, like I was like, okay, this is what's up. Because um, he just flipped the switch, and you, you know instantly that it pissed him off. So um, I like that portion of it. We move on to eight-man tag team action. It's the Road Warriors teaming with the Steiner Brothers, taking on the Cuban assassin, Bob Cook, the pro, that's Mike Awesome under a hood, and believe this, the Iron Sheik returns. And you pay attention. You are an idiot. 
and he's going to go out with a bang here in 1989. We get one. It's like they did this on purpose for us. Give us another taste of the Iron Sheik on the way out the door here in 1989. I like it. Give me, give me another one of those pay attention idiots. <laughs> and uh, yeah, oh, absolutely. And you pay attention. You are an idiot. And Sheiky taking shit bumps immediately in the match. Jim Ross says the Steiners are stiff competition. Corny replies the stiffest the Road Warriors have ever faced. So both of them kind of shooting here on the Steiner brothers being stiff, if you will. Corny thinks the Iron Sheik has swallowed a watermelon. He also says the Sheik's been in the ring for many years and the buffet for a couple more. So Corny, the heel, poking fun at the Iron Sheik, who's now relegated to jobber's status. It's crazy to, to see that here. And then actually Cornette ribbing on him here, making fun of the big pot belly or whatever the hell you call what's going on with the Iron Sheik's gut. His gut's massive. <laughs> Iron Sheik tries to get in some offense. Notice I say try. As he locks in a full Nelson on Animal, but Animal immediately breaks it without issue. Woman and Nitron then come to ringside. They're scouting the roadies and the Steiners for Starcade. But it's Norman following them out. Talk about overbooking this shit. Norman comes out and begins taking Polaroids of Woman. That's our next gimmick, by the way. And it's Heat That's on awkward. Scott's... Yes, it is. And it's Job Guy Heat on Scott Steiner. Iron Sheik even locks in the camel clutch for about a second. Before Rick Steiner comes in with a Steiner line on Sheiky Baby. I think he needed to pay attention. Are you pay attention. You are an idiot. Sheiky takes a shit bump off the Steiner line, and he wants no part of bumping, so he immediately tags out. He did this at least three times in a match. Every time it looked like the roadies or the Steiners were going to stop selling for him, he just ran and tagged out immediately. He was not going to take a bump any more than he had to here. As a hot tag is made from Scott Steiner to Hawk, he presses Bob Cook in the air, Animal then lands a shoulder block. Rick with a Steiner line. It breaks down into an eight-way melee with the jobbers. Bob Cook jumps a leapfrog over Animal, but runs right into a Rick Steiner belly-to-belly. This match goes 10 minutes and 10 seconds. Fun little squash. Yeah, it was extended squash, obviously, with the Sheik in the ring and the, the Cuban. Uh, you knew it was going to go a little long just because those guys are upper-tier upper, upper tier jobbers. But it, it was okay. It, it felt like it dragged at some part, some parts. But it was all right, yeah. But that Norman stuff was definitely awkward. Basically, uh, <laughs> a creeper just, you know, coming out with his little camera, snapping shots, and then heading out there. Obviously, he's not conspicuous. You know, he's not hiding or anything. He's right there in front of her just snapping yeah, one pictures. Week, which one is, week uh, he's uh, under Teddy Long's rule, and the next week he's taking pictures of women. They kind of just transition that story. But Teddy Long has nobody to feud with Norman, I think is one of the issues here. So it's just like kind of. Yeah. It is Why what can't it is. Dan Spivey do it with Sid out? Oh, that's a good question. We'll, uh, we'll probably look more into that pretty soon here. Jim Ross interviews both the Road Warriors and the Steiner brothers. Is up this week is Starcade this Wednesday. JR asks the roadies about their match with the Steiners at Starcade. Hawk says, you have to do in life what you have to do. You don't always want to do it, but you're put in a position to do it. More importantly, they look forward to the end of Doom and the Skyscrapers. They're still selling the Skyscrapers in this match, even though it's been known at this point for about a month that Sid can't go. I wrote, shame, shame. Yeah, this is this is troublesome. Obviously, he's been out since the clash. That's a month. You have more time, more than enough time to say, hey, the Skyscrapers are not going to be in this match, but it doesn't happen, does it? No, it doesn't. Not until the pay-per-view. 
And um, they uh, don't even explain it at the top of the pay-per-view, I don't, if I remember correctly. That's ridiculous. That's Jim, ridiculous. They closed the show with Jim Ross stating that he thinks Lex Luger will, will take it all in the Iron, Team, or Iron Man tournament at Starcade. He calls Luger the man of the 1990s. Corny thinks if Ric Flair can go back to his roots, he could win at the uh, Starcade pay-per-view. But if Flair is soft walking into the pay-per-view, it could be Lex or Muda. It's all up in the air. Nobody giving Sting a chance at this week. And this week's wrestler of the week, they claim because of her tremendous development, it's woman. This week's wrestler of the week, woman. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Again, no NWA pro for December 9th. So we move on to worldwide for December 9th. It's Tuxedo Terry and the Crispy Cruiser hosting. We get an opening Road Warriors promo. They will win at Starcade. Then to the ring, it's U.S. champion Lex Luger taking on Paul Drake. Luger does the old double choke, uh, the double-handed choke in the air and tosses Drake across the ring. And then it's the gambit of clothesline, Steve. Short clothesline, running clothesline, and flying clothesline by the total package as he picks up the win in two minutes, 43 seconds. Promo time. Terry Funk interviews the total package. Funk is pro Lex Luger. He picks Lex to win at Starcade. Luger relishes the idea of having Flair and Sting in the ring on the same night. It's his destiny to be the next world heavyweight champion. So Luger's character, even though it's just a cocky asshole, has evolved. He went from being content as U.S. champion to wanting everything and everyone. He just wants to be the world beater and hold every belt. And it's not even like the normal heel promo where it's like, I'm going to kick your ass and I'm going to do it's. It's just destiny. It's just going to happen because yeah. it's the only way. Yeah, it's like it's like I'm the greatest. I look the best. I'm the best wrestler. I'm entitled to this future that I have at, at my feet, uh, essentially. Like it almost comes across as if he he has to do nothing. You know, he doesn't have yeah. to do anything in the ring. He doesn't have to do anything at all. He's better than everybody. He knows he's better. It's just it's just a matter of time. It's not a matter of if. It's when. And, um, that's how it comes across. And like you said, it's not your typical heel promo. He's not like exposing like his virtues of his life, what he's doing, how he's living, anything like that. It's just, I'm the best. I know I'm the best. And now I'm going to get what's coming to me. And that's everything. It's excellent. It's very, very good. He's progressed. It's not like he started this way. Right. He just got tired of being a, you know, he just got tired of being a, a goody two shoe. It's time to let the real Lex Luger out. And then now, what, six months later, seven months later, okay, now I want I want what, what's coming to me. The whole ball of wax, as he would say. And um, very, very good character development and progression. Another fun thing they did throughout this episode of Worldwide were these bump, Starcade bumpers. Of course, it was simply the logo Starcade selling the pay-per-view this Wednesday. And then they would list one match, one of the random 12 matches you're going to see at the pay-per-view kind of like highlighting that particular match. And uh, one of them here was Ric Flair versus Sting. A reminder, this is one of the matches, one of the key matches you're going to see on the pay-per-view as we go back to the ring. Tag Team Champion Steiner Brothers taking on Spike Williams and Nasty Ned Bradley, who you may know better as Nasty Ned Brady. The Steiner line to Spike early on and to Frankensteiner on Bradley, Brady, whatever you want to call him here. And Brady is out cold from the Frankensteiner and Rick Steiner tags in and begins making elbow drops all around the mat. Never connects with Brady. Just randomly elbow dropping the mat. Then finally gets up and covers Brady, who's never touched outside of Scott Steiner. 
and Rick Steiner picks up the win. It was hilarious. Great spot and funny finish. Match only went 57 seconds. Good stuff. Rick Steiner, man. Since you think he's like done being that crazy ass, hard telling whatever he's going to do, he does stuff like this to remind you that he's nuts. And, uh, this is hilarious. And he's been coming up with shit for the entire 12 months. And that's just this year, but he's been coming up with shit for the entire 12 months. Yeah, it's crazy. Now, if this was going on now, like people probably bag on it and trash it all the time. But when you never seen it and you had the character development that he's had that where this is this is normal, you just accept it for what it is. And it's like, are you going to tell him to stop? We've seen him just, just kill a 350 pounder with a German suplex. I'm not going to tell him to stop doing elbows to the mat. <laughs> like, who the hell are you to tell him? Right. You know, so uh, great shit, man. It's so good. So even though Kevin Sullivan keeps booking himself in these eight-minute extended squashes on TV everywhere, he's also kind of trying to morph into an announcer here. And even though neither one of these guys are hosting the show, it's Jim Ross and Kevin Sullivan talking all about Starcade. Six big matches in each division, the Iron Team and Iron Man divisions. Jim Ross goes with Ric Flair, which is kind of funny because I'm pretty sure he had picked Lex Luger. Prior to this, Sullivan goes with Muda. He says because Muda's undefeated and he has a manager. Makes sense to me. Muda's undefeated. Why not go with Muda? Of course, you know, we know what happens. Sullivan says it's going to come down to the roadies versus the Steiners in the Iron Team Tournament, and the roadies have the experience on the Steiners. 12 matches. It's 15-minute time limits with sudden death rules. Makes no sense to me since clearly when the pay-per-view starts, they announce that there are draws. But they talk sudden death here on this episode of Worldwide. As we go back to the ring, it's Buzz Sawyer taking on Pat Rose. And Buzz dominates the match, and they do a great drop-down leapfrog, drop-down leapfrog spot just over and over until Buzz finally takes a backdrop and trips up Pat Rose and then nails the belly-to-belly and the diving splash, picks up the win in 3 minutes and 16 seconds. You know, you look at Buzz Sawyer, the body type of Buzz Sawyer, and you just don't think of him as a machine, but he is. He's a wrestling machine, and he's just go, go, go. He's... His wrestling work is is like his real lifestyle. It's like cocaine is the best way to describe his work ethic in the ring. Just he's everywhere like a ping pong ball. He's out of control, man. <laughs> That's how he works. It just reminds me of like what Kevin Sullivan's doing early on in the year, where he would just run to the ring, and it was like nine hundred miles per hour, just doing all this as much stuff that you could do in a short amount of time, and make yourself look like you're not. You never stop moving. It's like they're on speed or something. He's very entertaining to watch. Like, like I said last week, he's uh, he has a unique look. Uh, he, he's he's like a tank. The splash off the top is ridiculous. I love the launch, but he also does the belly to belly. He does the the power slam off the top off the middle rope. So his repertoire is definitely there. He, he's a unique individual that's very entertaining to watch. It's just unfortunate he couldn't get out of his own way. It's time for Pettacino knows he talks the Iron Team Tournament at Starcade. Then he also talks about the New Zealand Militia's winning streak now that Lord Littlebrook's come on board. I believe they won two whole matches in a row, which I guess for the Militia would be a winning streak. I don't know if they've ever done that before. As it's promo time, Terry Funk interviews Jim Cornette. Funk and Corny now pick their Starcade winners. Funk goes with Lex Luger. He's been saying that all along. Corny thinks Ric Flair. He's been saying that all along. As long as the Nature Boy can get back to his roots, that is. They put over all four men, all singles four men in the in the Iron Man tournament, as the best four wrestlers in the world. They then talk the tag teams. 
Cornette says the Midnight Express aren't in this because all four teams will destroy each other and they'll have no competition left. But since someone has to win, Corny's going to go with the Steiners or the Road Warriors. I thought that was interesting. Everybody's saying Steiners or Road Warriors, even the heels, which leads me to believe that they were told to do this. These are the guys we're pushing. You have to say the roadies because they're the roadies. You have to say the Steiners because they're our future. Yeah, it definitely seems pushed. Like This is the angle. This is where we want to go. Uh, I kind of feel bad for Doom. <laughs> yeah. They like nobody's mentioned Doom at all. And I, we all know why they haven't really mentioned the skyscrapers. Uh, the teams are talking about them, but the the commentators and things like that definitely have not mentioned them at all. Uh, just passing. So uh, you know who they want you to think is going to win. It's driven to the ground. This is, I will say, there's a point where I was like, okay, all these promos and then Gordon Soley and everybody talking about it. It made it felt somewhat big time. Like, okay, I get the idea. And I think earlier on WNN on the Power Hour this week, Gordon talked about, you know, if, if whoever wins these match, these tournaments, they're going to get challenges a, a plenty. So that means they got the opportunity to make more money. So you put a spin on it, like, why? What are they doing this for? What do they? What do they get out of it? What are they winning? And so you think of it that way. So they're just putting a little intrigue money. Obviously, everybody can relate to that. At a certain point, I was like, okay, this this sounds interesting. This is this feels special. I kind of get the idea of what they're doing. Just the execution, which we'll talk about next week uh, when we do the watch along. But by the time I was done watching this much TV, I was kind of ready for the show and excited for it because you think it's just a tournament with you know four teams and four wrestlers, but there's actually really solid build to those matches going into the show. It was kind of just throwing together, but it wasn't, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think, you know, it was Jim Hurd that had the idea, and then it was all these other guys that are writing TV that had to try to make it relevant as they could with what they had to work with anyway. They did a good job. I will, I will give them that credit. Yeah, they did the, everything the, they possibly the, the execution, could. The execution for this pay-per-view going into it was definitely better than the pay-per-view we got. Yeah, it's for certain. And we go back to the Ring the Midnight Express with a quick win over Rick, or Rock Hard Rick and Powerhouse Tim Parker with the rocket launcher on Parker in about a minute and 32 seconds. Rock Hard Rick never even bothers to tag in during that match. More Joe Pettisino knows. And the Starcade update. We get a pre-tape promo from Rick Flair. He talks Muda and Gary Hart, Lex Luger. He gets them both at Starcade, and he's looking forward to the opportunity. Back to the ring. It's Doom number one. It's Ron Simmons. Again, in a singles match with Woman and Nitron. Makes you wonder what happened to Butch Reed here for a couple weeks. More on that before we close the show. Could have been. And more on that. I don't know because uh, I got a little more on this before the show's over. As he takes on Johnny Rich here. Woman out here in a silver dress. He's been rocking black a lot lately. So this silver really stuck out for me. It really stuck out for me. This is our main event, I wrote, question mark. Simmons versus Johnny Rich. Yeah. Norman comes to ringside again, snapping Polaroids of woman. And this is the one you alluded to. She pays She notices that Norman's doing so kind of starts posing for him. Then she looks at the camera and smiles. She likes it. She enjoys having stalkers. She enjoys being looked at. And this, I thought was a fun extended squash hope spots for Johnny rich, solid shit from Ron Simmons and the nasty spine buster ends this one. Four minutes, 27 seconds. You got anything to say about this one? No, it was kind of like uh, they were kind of going back and forth, and then Ron finally had enough and just killed the dude with the spine buster. Damn! Um, so, yeah, pretty much solid match. It was a decent little match. Up next, it's Sting taking on the Galaxian. 
which is Danny Davis, not to be confused with dangerous Danny Davis, the WWF referee, but the actual original Danny Davis, who is part of the Nightmares tag team and part of the Galaxians tag team, that which was the first ever men that Jim Cornette ever managed in Memphis, was the Galaxians Danny Davis here. Tough, tough mofo, trained in the barns when he broke in with the Welch family, which is Robert Fuller's family. Very, very tough way to break in. I'll just leave it at that. But here he is, and he had some. He had a run in Stampede, and he had a lot of runs down there in, in Memphis and in Alabama and even in Dallas for the USWA later on. But Danny Davis here working under a hood as a job guy. They, they claim they spoke with Sting moments ago. And then we get an insert promo from Sting. My problem here was he was wearing completely different face paint. So it is what it is, a Sting Talk Starcade there. He fakes a Stinger splash in the corner on the Galaxian, but it offers a handshake instead. The Galaxian then takes a cheap shot at Sting, which Sting no-sells and locks in the Scorpion. Two minutes and two seconds. A little bit different finish for Stinger here. I liked it. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Like, you didn't really do anything to him until the Galaxian put the boot to him, and uh, that's when he just finished it. But uh, it was pretty damn funny. <laughs> Close out the show with Chris Cruz interviewing the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. It's the final hard sell on Worldwide to Starcade. Ric Flair is the world champion. He's the world's best. Flair wants revenge on Muda and Luger. He looks forward to go another round with a stinger as well. But next week on Worldwide, Ric Flair promises the biggest surprise of his career. Of course, we're going to see that surprise here on WCW just in a few moments. But for right now, he's hyping his surprise will appear on Worldwide next week. And we close out the show. Starcade is the premier event in the world. May have been true at one point, but tonight or this week, he refers to it as the greatest pay-per-view ever. I wrote, blah. Now, that's somebody just really trying to sell tickets, no doubt, or, or, or pay-per-views, I should say. That's the goal. We move on to World Championship Wrestling at Center Stage for December 9th, taped back on November 28th at Center Stage. It's Jim Ross and Kevin Sullivan again hosting. Thank God it's not Michael Hayes. Tag Team Champion Steiner Brothers taking on Gene Ligon and Nasty Ned Bradley. We get an insert promo from the Steiners. They're the men with the gold, and they're the men with the iron. Please stop letting these guys talk. Rick Steiner says, why are they running round on Robin? Uh, obviously, they're in a round-robin tournament, so that's the joke there. Why are they running around on Robin? And then he asks, who's Robin? I felt that was a bad time for that joke. It would have made more sense had there not been a Robin, but since there had been a Robin Green, this just really fell extra flat for me. <laughs> I didn't even pick up on it, dude. I, I can't even really understand what the hell he's saying half the time. They bring another kid to ringside with him, although he doesn't get to use the belt and, and nail a, uh, one of the opponents with it. Uh, but Rick Steiner doing more of those elbow drops to absolutely nothing, purposely missing his opponent as he elbow drops the mat repeatedly. But he does connect with the Steiner line, which Brady wasn't ready for, and he ate it good. Then it's the belly-to-belly -belly ends this in just one minute, and the champs pick up an easy win as they cruise into Starcade. Promo time with Teddy Long. He talks Star K, these skyscrapers. He says they'll beat everyone. Then they'll come after the roadies and Steiners. I wrote, um, they're going to beat everyone at Starcade, and then they're going to come after the roadies and the Steiners. Makes no sense. They're fighting them at the pay-per-view, or at least that's what we're told at this point. So the MWA has absolutely no desire to announce that these skyscrapers will not be participating. This is their, like, I know the main event's still tomorrow, but this is their, like, last-ditch effort opportunity to at least allude 
that there may be a change in, in one of the teams or that the sky some maybe one of the skyscrapers are hurt. They and Teddy Long denies it. I mean, they they had so many options they could have done here, just so there's a like a teaser at least going into the pay per view instead of just leaving everybody aloof to the situation. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. I was waiting for it. I was listening for it. like, okay, they're still putting Teddy Long out here to put him over, and I'm just like, are you serious? Um, they're not going to do it. So shame on them uh, trying to sell some. I know card subject to change, but when you know a month ahead of time, that's uh, a little bit different. Taking advantage of the yeah, that's uh, taking advantage of the situation that you're provided. Pretty shitty move. Back to the ring, it's the SST with Oliver Humberdink taking on Rick Hardrock and Mike Thor fought too with a big splash on Thor. Quick and easy win in three minutes and six seconds. We get a house show promo at this point, which spoils the upcoming big surprise later in the show that hasn't arrived yet. God bless the NWA for all the things they do, as it's pre-tape promo time by Sting. Sting explains a dream he had. I'm not even going to fucking acknowledge the shit that he said here. I don't even know half the shit he said here. And then he alludes that maybe he's still dreaming. And he snores. <laughs> it was a sting promo. It was terrible. What a train wreck. That's the note I have down. Yeah, I didn't even try to take notes when he started going into a dream. To be in Sting's <laughs> dreams, that's who. That's who. <laughs> The Stinger taking on Bob Cook in the ring up next, and Cook escapes the Scorpion Deathlock. I was impressed as he att- uh, Sting attempted the Scorpion. Bob Cook got to the ropes, but it didn't work the second time. Stinger splashed, and then the Scorpion ends this three minutes and 21 seconds. So they're doing a good job of getting pretty much all the guys involved in Starcade out here in very quick squashes to really hype them up for the pay-per-view. Yeah, they're doing a good job of getting the talent, the guys over that are in the tournament. Very quick matches. I don't know if it's because they got a lot to get to or, or what the case is, but I'm enjoying these quick squashes on Saturday night because this is usually the show where we get the five or six minute squashes that are not necessary. So good on them. Up next, it's angle alert time as Jim Cornette offers the Midnight Express $10,000 triple challenge. Any team that stays in the ring with the Midnight Express for five minutes gets $10,000, so you don't even have to beat them. You just have to avoid losing for five minutes, as Jim Cornette doesn't even need to be ringside for this, Steve. He joins commentary while his Midnights go out there for three matches in a row. And first, it's up against Trent Knight and Ricky Nelson as the Vegomatic ends it pretty fast on Nelson. I clocked it at 1 minute and 59 seconds. Cornette clocked it in 1 minute, 56.75 seconds. I thought that was a fun addition. Cornette over there timing the matches while on commentary. Match number two sees the Midnights in Larry Santo and Paul Drake with the flapjack in just three minutes. So five minutes all total here over the first two teams. And then comes team number three. Here's the angle. Announced as their third opponents from Gotham City. It's Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson. And immediately Cornette goes, Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson from Gotham City. For those who don't know, that's Batman and Robin. Uh, Corny goes nuts as these two masked men hit the ring in dynamic dude trunks. Drop kicks, take out Stan Lane, and then a wipeout on Bobby Eaton immediately gets the pin for these dynamic duo, the dynamic dudes, if you will. And the, white ep- the wipeout pins Eaton. 
This match went 13 seconds. They come in, they clear Stan Lane. Cornette sells it beautifully on commentary. He couldn't be crazier. And then Bobby Eaton eats the wipeout. 13 seconds. And then immediately they unmask. They take the check. The bell never rang, says Cornette. I don't really know if it did or not, but either way, Tommy Young called for it, though. I, I saw him call for the bell, and there's been a lot of times the refs called for the bell and the bell didn't ring. So I say it's a legal match. The dudes steal the check. They win the match. Cornette is livid. This was awesome. My my main takeaway here, it's unfortunate, it's the dynamic dudes. Yeah. Because uh, they're just Could've not been over. so they much more food. for any other team. They got booed uh, pretty heavily for beating them, even though the the Midnight's are heels, obviously. But this 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 was good. It was creative. It was fun. It, like I said, it's just unfortunate that it was <laughs> the shitty dynamic dudes, man. Yeah, and you, uh, I've seen they, this. If, if it was a if it was an opponent that was over, oh man, you would have had at least a couple months of house show runs, if not longer. Yeah, and you can go um, back this. in time, and this has been done repeatedly. I mean, Cornet, this is clearly a Cornet idea. This was done in Memphis uh, uh, several times. But, I mean, even the, the yeah. Von Erichs did it. They were the Cosmic Cowboys. I mean, this has been done all over the place. And it's all, as long as you do it right, it's one of the better angles of the time. And Cornet on commentary, he, he did more on commentary for this than he ever would have done standing at ringside, I thought. Yeah. This, the, the whole part of it was perfect. Like, everything about it was perfect. Yeah. Um, just really good stuff. And I told this story weeks ago, maybe even back in the summer when I was talking about the dynamic dudes, it's a story that Jim Cornette has as you question about what happens beyond this with the dudes and the midnights. Well, they continue to work on the house show loops at the very least. And here's a fun story from Jim Cornette. Obviously we had just turned on the dudes. So naturally they got to try to get some revenge. And also we're being booked around the loop and house show matches with them. And in the South, Truthfully, with Shane Sellen, the people would get behind the dudes and, and we'd get a little bit of heat and then Johnny would make the tag and it was almost like people would start cheering the Midnight Express because he made a lousy <laughs> comeback. But in the South, it kind of worked, but in the North, it was still, they were still cheering the fuck out of us no matter if we could, we could have, you know, killing puppies, right? We're, we're for it. What do you think? Yay! And it was the night in Philadelphia, um, December 27th, a famous night in my memory. They're getting heat on fucking Johnny for once, for some reason. I can't remember why, but they were getting the heat on Johnny instead of Shane. And the crowd starts chanting, Johnny sucks dick. Johnny sucks. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I look up and they've got like a 10 by 6 foot bed sheet with the words, Johnny sucks Shane's dick, hanging from the balcony. Johnny sucks dick. Johnny sucks dick. And the whole place. And it was a decent house because it was Christmas week. So decent for us at the time, right? So at one point, Bobby brings Johnny Ace over and puts his head over the ropes, like for me to come over and give him a shot with a racket or something, and I turn and fucking run away. And fucking, after the match, Johnny asks, why did you turn and run away from me? I said, I was afraid of snipers. I don't want to get hit in the crossfire. <laughs> Literally in the locker room afterwards, Shane walks in the shower, and Johnny's sitting there with his head down and his towel, and he gets up, and he starts going this way, and, and I, Bobby stands, somebody, Stan maybe was probably fucking with me, said, where are you going, Johnny? And Johnny said, I'm just going to suck Shane's dick. <laughs> they hated him. Uh, there you go. Uh, nobody tells a story better than Cornette, so I wanted to play that for everybody. <laughs> you could tell, like, it sounds like Johnny was pretty dejected. Um, it just wasn't working. <laughs> it just uh, was not working. The Z-Man's not working either, at least <laughs> theoretically. 
here as he takes on the Galaxian Danny Davis. It's the sleeper hold in a 5 minute and 49 second match. We talked about all the fast matches on the show. Why does this one go so long? We learned yeah. the Z-Man will wrestle Samoan Savage Tama next week on World Championship Wrestling. My note here is uh, after about four or five minutes, he finally gets to sleeper. By that point, everybody's already asleep anyway. That's right. So, he, well, well, the only person terrible. left awake was his opponent, right? Everybody else was asleep. So. <laughs> yeah. Good God, he's terrible. We go back two weeks and see highlights of the Ric Flair and Great Muda match from WCW, and we get a promo from Jim Ross in the ring. We never see a promo in the ring here, so you know another angle's coming on this show. Another hard sell for the pay-per-view. Ric Flair in the ring with Jim Ross, and he calls Gary Hart out. Hart says he has a surprise, too, for the Nature Boy. In comes the Dragon Master, the Great Muda, and Buzz Sawyer. Flair is outnumbered. If you want to count Gary Hart, it's it's technically four to one. Flair says, that surprise ain't nothing. And he attacks all three. I loved it. Flair didn't give a shit. Just jumped all three guys. And then out of nowhere, it's Ole Anderson to the rescue. And the crowd explodes. When Arn Anderson returns to the NWA, that was the big surprise from Ric Flair as the Andersons, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, reunite the horsemen to a degree, reunite with Ric Flair, and they attack and clear the ring of JTEX Corporation. Yeah, it was very cool to see like uh, Ross and them in the ring. Uh, definitely, they do everything at that damn platform stage area where they do the commentary. So seeing them in the ring and actually talking in the ring and doing things, uh, the camera angle and everything was just different, and it looked really cool. You knew an angle was coming, obviously, with it being in the ring. Yeah, I wish they would do that more. Uh, I really do because it, it just adds a different feel to uh, the interview and, and things like that. But uh, no, this is great. You, you knew who it was. As soon as you heard the word surprise, you knew who it was. It was cool. It, they kind of, I don't know if they lucked into it or what, but it was nice that Oli was the enforcer for Halloween Havoc and then he disappeared. So you thought it was just a one time deal. And then all of a sudden he comes back with Arn. And uh, they they was able to play that up with the Tully thing falling through. So they got lucky on that one. I mean, they could have kept really it around did. and being on TV, and yeah, it would really it wouldn't uh, it would have just been Arn. But then you get both Anderson. So like you said, it's the Minnesota Wrecking Crew back to the original Four Horsemen. So they lucked into that one. But this was great. I liked it. Yeah, it was fun. And he's back. Kendall Wyndham returns. As you said, you were watching. You heard, from, you heard from Sweetwater, Texas. And you thought, Barry Wyndham shouldn't be back yet. And it's Kendall Wyndham. They fooled you here. As he takes on Rick Ryder. I thought Kendall looked a lot more polished here, but he's still thin as a rail. But he does pick up the win mm-hmm. here with the Bulldog. Four minutes and 28 seconds. And Kendall keeping that heel look that he had when he left the company. So he's back as a heel, at least momentarily here, before things go awry in the world of the Wyndham family. Uh, promo time with Ric Flair and Arn and Ole Anderson. The crowd goes nuts when they reiterate that Arn Anderson is back in the NWA. Ric Flair says the wrestling world needs to be shaken up. There are people disguised as wrestlers running rampant in this sport right now, that need, and it needs to be turned inside out. And when you want people to turn something inside out, you ask for the Andersons. Tamuda and Luger, nobody will be interfering in Ric Flair's matches at the Omni at Starcade because he has Arn and Ole in his corner now. Ole says they'll be there at Starcade, and what's missing in this world right now is law and order. Who keeps it better than the Minnesota Wrecking Crew? They'll tell you the four horsemen are dead and gone, but listen to the fans. Listen to the people. They'll tell you all day long 
The horsemen are back. And then finally, it becomes time. Arn Anderson, in his very first promo back in the NWA, he says, there's an old saying, do not jump a dog in his own backyard and don't mess with family. JTEX wants to jump on these dogs? Their backyard is the NWA. Arn says it started here, and by God, it's going to finish here. The four horsemen are back. Steve? Sucks it's happened <laughs> at the beginning of December. Uh, I would have loved to had a whole year of Arn Anderson. Uh, just just a tremendous talent. Ole did a great job here with the face promo. I know that's not his forte, but his lines were good. Like you mentioned, the Halloween Havoc buildup. <laughs> He knows how to sell, and uh, he's selling the horsemen back very good. And, uh, this is just a great promo. I like how they did the angle. They had the quick five-minute match, and then they went right back to it. Uh, they didn't wait till the end of the show and, and everything like that. They just went right back to it. They knew it was going to be hot. They knew everybody's going to want to hear him and see him again. So they got him right back out there, which was, yeah. which was really good. Um, you don't want to get kind of lost in the shuffle or go through all the other crap that's on the rest of this show. Uh, just, just strike by the iron tight, get him out there, and keep that crowd going. They continue on promo with Doom, Woman, and Nitron. And I put Doom in quotation marks here because Butch Reed has his back turned while Ron Simmons and everyone else is facing the camera and cutting the promo. And if you notice, Ron Simmons has been wrestling a lot in singles competition these last few weeks as well, leading me to believe that this guy is pretending to be Butch Reed. I don't think it's Butch Reed at all. I don't know. It's like you said, maybe he hurt his leg on that pile driver. I don't really know why Reed's out, but this is clearly not Butch Reed here. He never turns around to face the camera during this promo. Of course, they're talking Starcade, and only Ron speaks. It's convenient that Butch Reed never moves, never speaks. It's almost like Sting at AEW Revolution. He's got a body double, I think, here. As we go <laughs> back to the ring, it's Doom in the ring with Woman and Nitron taking on the Italian Stallion and the pro who hails from San Juan, Puerto Rico. In reality, it's Mike Awesome in a hood. Of course, they didn't have a hood on him earlier in the year. I think maybe they realized that based on his size and ability, he may become something one day. So maybe let's, let's hide him under a hood here while he's doing jobs. Kevin Sullivan on commentary wonders, what will Woman do to Doom if they can't get the job done at Starcade? That's a good question. That was a good question. Uh, if they're going to save a dude and put him under the hood, they might want to change his boots because he's wearing those ugly-ass yellow boots that looks like he stole from Scott Steiner. Uh, I, I kind of knew who it was immediately just because of his, his boots, um, but I figured it was Mike Awesome. Was this what you, was this what you was talking about with Doom? Well, yeah, the, the promo the with his back turn. Yeah. Was just, yeah, I, I didn't know if you uh, had like any scoops, like I if don't. there was some heat on him or, or something like that. I, I'm guessing it's the knee because if you watch that pile driver, he he like shakes his knee out, and I think he tags out almost immediately, and then it it, it, it just fell apart. So it just makes you wonder if there was an issue there, something right. happened. So it's um, yeah, it's weird, but he's clearly back and ready to go by Starcade. Right, and Doom get the long heat on the masked pro here, and then the middle rope heart attack ends this. Ron Simmons gets the win on pro in five minutes and six seconds. Promo time, Jim Ross talks to the roadies heading into Starcade. Animal says they have real athletes here in the NWA, and if you don't like it, they don't care. Hawk says they don't carry health insurance because they don't need to. They all take risks in life. Parachute as parachutes don't open. What a rush. A man swimming with the sharks, he can give bit. What a rush. They live life on the edge. Sometimes they fall over that edge and get back up on it. It's better to be dead and not make money 
than to try to make money against the Road Warriors. <laughs> Only Hawk. <laughs> They're sick individuals, says Hawk. They're not changing for anything or anybody. They'll continue what they do best, beating people up. Another great promo here. I, I loved it. I love that line. You, you're better off dead than try to make money against them. It, it feels like they're almost pushing a new direction, starting with this show, it feels like, heading into Starcade as well with the tournament, the Ironman, like athletes. Uh, you got to win three or four matches. You got to go through four matches or whatever it is, three matches apiece, that sort of deal. So, And then, like Flair said, you know, there's a lot of fake wrestlers out there that need to be turned inside out. Right. And we'll talk about we got real athletes here. It just feels like they're really – starting to turn the corner and you know, while we tried the gimmicks, I know they're still here. You know, you got the dudes, you got Norman, um, things like that. But at the same time, they're really turning the corner with the actual athletes and, and the big time, uh, you know, physical dudes that can work and, and things like that to where they're, they're the complete opposite of what the WWF is at this point. So uh, it seems like they're trying to focus on that going into this tournament. Right. And here's the, the big problem I had with the uh, the booking here this week. We saw that awesome angle earlier with the Midnights and the Dudes and the Dick Grayson and the Bruce Wayne and all that stuff. Later on in the same show, we get a Dynamic Dudes squash match. I felt like that really hindered things a little. This was absolutely unnecessary, I thought, after the segment with the Midnights. They should have left out going out on top like that. Instead, it killed some of their heat because they sucked here. And Johnny Ace, especially shitty as usual, but the wipeout on Sean Regal, as they took on Pat Rose and Sean Regal, I should notice, um, the wipeout on Regal ends this in three minutes and 21 seconds. I just didn't think that this was necessary to put the dudes in a squash here later on the same show where they worked the angle with the Midnights. I agree. A promo here would have been better where they can come out and rub the check into the Cornette's face and and things like that. I mean, when you when you do the the thing that they did earlier, that's it. You either do a promo or you're not going to see him again. And this this definitely was not a good idea. I don't know who was responsible for this, but kind of killed it. Like you said, it was ugly double team moves, shitty work. Guys just look, they look like crap. And then it's over in three minutes. It's like, who cares? They still suck, even though they got one up on the midnights. Right. And we see highlights of last week with Norman turning on Teddy Long. Now we get a promo from Teddy Long talking to the Cuban assassin of all because. What a feud that would be. Teddy Long offers the Cuban $350 in mostly American dollars uh, for a bounty on Norman. (laughs) The Cuban says that $350 is a lot of money in Cuba, so he will accept that bounty. He will take the $350 from Teddy Long, and he will wrestle Norman next week on World Championship. What a star-studded show next week. Samoan Savage against the Z-Man, Norman and Cuban. That's going to set some new ratings, I'm sure. <laughs> Did you like that? Was that fun? Oh, yeah, it was funny. Uh, I love the mostly American money. So sleazy uh, of Teddy Long there. Yeah. And then I, I will say, man, it kind of gives you some some uh, unintentional, but like maybe some empathy on the Cuban assassin. You know, he's like, it means nothing here in this country, $350. But to my country, that means a lot. It sounds like he can do a lot with 350 down in Cuba. So. You kind of pull them for him a little bit, like right. I have to agree. It's uh, it's kind of odd the the way they sell it because you can kind of look at it like he is the you know kind of a you kind of feel bad for him a little bit there. But yeah, back to the ring. It's the Great Muda and Buzz Sawyer, accompanied by Gary Hart and the Dragon Master, taking on Mike Hart and Rick Fargo. 
I wrote, what a fun team, Muda and Buzz Sawyer together. Buzz mauls the job, guys, and Muda is Muda. We get the handspring elbow from Muda, and then Buzz with the belly-to-belly and the diving splash on Mike Hart ends this in four and a half minutes. And then comes the match, Steve. It's Captain Mike Rotunda taking on Wildfire Tommy Rich. The referee here is Tommy Young. As the match gets going, it's Tommy Rich with drop kicks, and Mike bails to the floor. Kendall Wyndham comes ringside. What a fucking group of fucking Motley crew out here. Rotunda, Rich, Kendall Wyndham. Anyways, Tommy Rich works a headlock but eats a knee from Rotunda as Rotunda takes over and gets some heat on Tommy Rich. I dare argue that Rotunda has had better in-ring work the second half of 1989 than the entire rest of his career. And of course, they stop pushing him at the same time he actually develops this new, I don't want to call it charisma because it's Mike Rotunda, but this new offensive style. And the crowd, though, they, they really kept this match enjoyable given the guys in the ring. This was a hot crowd, a good crowd. Oh, yeah. Center stage usually does have that good crowd. It all, I guess it all depends on is this early in the taping or late in the taping. Right. And at this point in the match, the lights go out. You can't make this shit up. Kevin Sullivan tries to cover. Pretty smart, once again, just like the Frankensteiner with the job guy countering. Kevin Sullivan says, where's Kendall Wyndham? So he's, he's alluding that Kendall Wyndham has turned the lights out. Kendall Wyndham is up to something. He says this over and over. Really, in reality, the power goes out and the generator lights come on as the match continues. And that's, don't, that's not even the worst thing that happens in this match, as you know, Steve. Tommy Rich makes the comeback and lands the Fez Press. But Mike Rotunda gets his foot on the ropes, which would have never happened if Tommy Rich knew how to actually deliver a Fez Press because the entire idea is your legs interlock the back of your opponent's thighs thus preventing them from putting their feet on the ropes. But it's Tommy Rich, and he has no idea what he's fucking doing, so Rotunda gets to the ropes for the break, and Tommy Young gets in Tommy Rich's face as he warns him about throwing fists, at which point Tommy Rich grabs Tommy Young and flings him off camera, face first into the ropes, never to be seen on his feet again. So we're about nine minutes into the match here, Steve, as Tommy Young gets flung into the ropes. The next time we see him, he's laying on the mat, out. And he's not really moving very much. Mike Rotunda, meanwhile, dumps Tommy Rich over the top rope to the floor with Tommy Young down in the ring. Rich gets back up on the apron and locks in a sleeper on Rotunda, but Rotunda drops Rich throat first across the top rope. He makes the cover, but there's no referee. He actually looks around. Where the hell's the ref? I thought maybe that was supposed to be the finish because they were actually looking for Tommy Young. He notices Young is down, so Rotunda rolls him over, but it doesn't look like Tommy Young can move. At this point, the lights go more dim. This couldn't get any worse for poor Tommy Young. Tommy Rich keeps the crowd into it, however. There's no lights. Tommy Young's down, and the crowd's still counting as Tommy Rich mounts Rotunda in the corner for a 10 punch, and the Memphis fist drop off the middle rope. Still no referee, as referees Nick Patrick and Mike Atkins finally get to the ring to check on Tommy Young, who is still immobile. Rotunda then rolls up Tommy Rich and grabs the ropes for leverage. Referee Mike Atkins runs over and makes the quick count. Rotunda picks up the win in 11 minutes and 45 seconds. Unfortunately, this would be the end of Tommy Young's career as a referee. It's originally thought to be a severe case of whiplash, but it turns out that he has a broken neck and he will never referee, at least on a full-time basis, ever again. Uh, That's unfortunate. He did look like he pushed him pretty hard. A little over overzealous there by Tommy Rich. Um, it's probably a spot Tommy Young's taken a million times. Um, nothing out of the ordinary. Just 
accidents happen, and uh, it's it's unfortunate it happened to somebody like Tommy Young. He's a hell yeah, of a referee. It's, yeah, it sucks Very entertaining. Um, the bump happens off camera. We see him go flying, and we actually don't even see the actual bump. The snap of the neck or whatever, the head into the ropes, obviously. is what, But Tommy always took these crazy bumps, and it's like he got assisted a little bit extra movement there by Tommy Rich. He kind of threw him, and Tommy Young was already going to take that bump anyway. And, yeah, it just didn't work out too well. Tommy Young started way back in 1971 as a referee in Detroit for the Sheik, and then he moved on down into the Cleveland and, and Buffalo territories and whatever for, for Pedro Martinez and the, uh, the NWF, and then... Obviously, the IWA, Einhorn, when he took over down there in Carolina and they tried to become the first national expanded territory, which didn't work out. Tommy Young followed that down on into the Carolinas, where he's actually from, I believe. And then eventually by 75, I think that's when he moved over to Crockett. And he's been here ever since. And he's been easily the greatest referee here in the 80s. He won the PWI Referee of the Ward in 81, 82, 83, 85, and 86. So five out of six years straight, Tommy Young, referee of the year here in the 80s. It's very, very, very unfortunate that this is it for Tommy Young. The only saving grace is at least it wasn't worse than what it could have been. Uh, whenever you think of neck, you think paralysis and things like that. So at least it's not that bad compared to like, you know what it could have been. Yeah, Either way, it's unfortunate. Uh, of course, we see uh, Young pop back up. It's part of that WWF routine there, I think, in 1998. It's part of the NWA uh, group or whatever. and do a few referee jobs there, but this is it for his full-time career, and it's unfortunate because easily he's outshined any referee I can think of here, uh, not just the NWA in 89, but pretty much uh, any referee in the 1980s. Yeah, absolutely. But the show must go on, and it does go on with U.S. champion Lex Luger in the ring next against William Bell. Bell actually tackles and hip-tosses Lex Luger. I can't believe Lex Luger took a tackle bump off of a job guy here. But Luger comes right back with a nasty clothesline. Gets the win in 29 seconds to prepare for Starcade. Lex looks into the camera and says, just like that. It's Starcade. Lex Luger is ready. As we close out this episode of World Championship Wrestling promo, Buzz Sawyer and Gary Hart. Hart calls Flair a fool for debuting Arn Anderson today instead of at Starcade. It almost felt like a booker shooting on another booker. You're a fool for booking him this early. But JTEX will take out the horsemen, no doubt about it, says Gary Hart, as we conclude this episode of WCW. And it's on to our final show of this Grenade NWA main event, December 10th, with Kendall Wyndham taking on powerhouse Tim Parker. He suckers Parker in and attacks him to begin the match. Looks a million times better in the ring, but he doesn't really go very far here. <laughs> well, he goes, he goes somewhere, but uh, not very far in the NWA. He does pick up a win here in six and a half minutes with the Bulldog. And another Luger promo, another replay. He wants Sting and Flair in the title and yada, yada, yada. They've beaten this to death now, I think. Of the, they do this going into everything. They just, they just beat it into death, these promos. As we go back to the ring, it's the Midnights taking on Johnny Rich and the Stargazer. No idea who this was. He was as thin as Lee Scott, but it definitely wasn't Lee Scott. I have no idea who this was, but they tried to put him over is something uh, big time coming into the company, at least uh, going into the, the opening conversation on the show. It's a slow start by the Midnights, as Johnny Rich actually gets in some solid offense on both of them for a lengthy period of the match. Finally, the Midnights wind up getting heat on Rich, but Rich with a face buster on Eaton and a hot tag to the Stargazer, as well as Stan Lane. Gazer looked solid. He looked competent in there. He knew what he was doing, but very hesitant like the jobbers do when they're being given offense and they're not sure when they're supposed to get cut off. 
That's the way it appeared here to me anyway. Gazer tries a monkey flip on Stan Lane in the corner, but Eaton sneaks up from behind, nails a big back, back suplex, and the double flapjack ends this. Match went 13 minutes and 52 seconds. The Midnights, they know how to work a com- competitive match against anyone, uh, yet they can't make it to Starcade, even with the, even with the skyscrapers out. I wrote, stupid. That's Jim Hurd for you. I'm surprised, you know, we know what happens. The SST get down there, and they do nothing. <laughs> Might as well put the Midnights on there if you want to squash them. Uh, that, that was actually Cornette's idea. Hey, you need a team that's going to have to job out. The skyscrapers can't work. Why don't you let my midnights on there? They can work. They can make everybody look good. And Jim Hurt still wouldn't have it. That's stupid. Absolutely. Uh, but um, now this this match went pretty long. Was it, could it be Agent Steel just under a different hood? It's possible. I'd have to look at the hair again. They look the very back. similar. They look pretty similar too. Like yeah, it's a real it's a rail thin guy. Uh, obviously. He's never going to make it past that jobber status just because of his size, uh, especially in 1989. Decent match. Like you said, they can get a good match out of anybody. Johnny Rich and Stargazer got 13 minutes with the Midnights, and it wasn't bad. Um, uh, Definitely makes for some entertaining matches. It's just unfortunate upper management doesn't see it. Right. We go back to WCW and the Arn Anderson return to the company before it's to the ring with the main event of the main event. It's tag team champion the Steiners taking on the SST. As of now, the SST haven't been announced for Starcade. We'll see what happens when we get to the pay-per-view. Rick nails a released German suplex on Fatu. God, I always love when the Steiners hit these moves on these big guys because they never get tackled any other time. So the Steiners just de- devastate the SST here with Steiner lines. The SST have to powder from the ring. Scott goes for a Steiner, Steiner line again, but Fatu ducks. Samu lowers the rope, and Scotty takes a nasty bump to the floor where he gets crotched on the guardrail. And the SST wind up getting heat on Scott Steiner from there. Then it's a Frankensteiner out of nowhere on Samu to get a hot tag off to Rick. Rick fights off both of the SST as Humperdinck stomps on Scott Steiner out of the ring. Rick comes back with a double Steiner line on both SST. And he chases off the big kahuna who runs into the ring, which once again draws a disqualification. The Steiners pick up the win in 7 minutes and 12 seconds on a DQ as the SST are cleared from the ring, the Steiners look like they're going to get a, get a piece of Humperdinck, but he manages to escape as well. So, fun little TV match heading into the pay-per-view. Yeah, these guys are fun to watch. They always have good matches, it seems like, or entertaining matches at least for spots and things like that. But even here, I like how they're given. they're not really giving the Steiners a lot of squashes as far as, uh, you know, jobbers. Since they're the champions, they're actually working them against name opponents. And I know they're kind of giving them the cheap outs with the DQs and stuff, but it's kind of nice to get new champions, and then all of a sudden they're not really doing job matches anymore. It's just uh, name opponents to kind of establish them as champions. So um, I think they're doing a great job of booking the Steiner brothers. Yeah, and given the fact that the scrapers are out of the pay-per-view, even though this wasn't the plan when they put this on TV, it does help the SST moving into the Starcade pay-per-view as well, just having them showcased here with the Steiners. It's kind of a taste of what we might see at Starcade, And um, two full weeks of TV, Steve, and not a free bird in sight. I'm sure they're sulking over their title loss, but it's, I think this might be the first time where there's, we're completely free bird list for an entire episode of the grenade. I love it. Too bad. It took till December to get that way. As we talk ratings, I'm not even mad about, you know, (laughs) Jimmy Garvin's okay with me. Yeah. But uh, Michael Hayes can kick rocks. (laughs) And we close out this episode of The Grenade. We're going to talk just a couple really quick pieces of news and notes. We're going to talk ratings 
This week's World Championship Wrestling for December 9th drew a 3.4 rating for the return of Arn Anderson, while the Power Hour the night before does a 2.0. It was a pretty weak show considering, and the main event drew a 2.4 with the Samoans and the Steiners, so a little bit down this week on all fronts, but not necessarily bad. And here are some quick notes. Uh, we already talked about Bob Seger's people complaining about women's theme music, the Strut song, and I think they get rid of that. Like I said, this is the last week, and I think we hear that for the best of my knowledge. It's definitely not a part of the Starcade pay-per-view. Samu is reportedly suspended, though I'm not sure why. So it will be Fatu and Tama being built as the Wild Samoans instead, as Samu will be off TV for several weeks here. Not really sure what the story is there, but it's not the first time Samu's been replaced on the old Head Shrinker SST team. And up next, Steve, it's time. It's Starcade 89, the watch along next week. And of course, after that, the final three weeks of December 89, NWA TV. But are you looking forward to the paper? You said this got you hyped for it. You're a little surprised me a little bit. You're really looking forward to this paper. <laughs> I mean, uh, the, the first four or five episodes of this week's TV got me ready for it. And then by the time the eighth show came in and we had the same <laughs> promos and the same Starcade updates and the same everything, it was just like, Oh Lord, just get me to the show. Um, so I mean, I, I enjoy watch alongs. It doesn't really matter how terrible the, 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 and the matches ain't terrible. It's just the booking and the idea of wasting your biggest event of the year on something like this. So yeah, it's, it's just um, very monotonous. I think uh, same guys all night. And it's long. very, uh, it's very lackluster as far as, you know, your whole year is built to the show and here you go. You get, a four-man tournament and a four-tag team tournament. Enjoy. Like, did they learn anything from WrestleMania 4? No, I guess not. I guess not. This is even worse. It's just the same fucking four guys. Yeah. I mean, so definitely. I appreciate you being yeah. here, man. Appreciate it knocking out two more weeks. So, yeah, we're it's uh, just two episodes left, and that's one watch-along and one TV review show, and then we're done. So we made it again, man. I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much, and I'm looking forward to doing Star K because it's our final watch along of 1989. It's going to be fun, even if it's not exactly what we would like to see out of Starcade. <sighs> it's still going to be a fun show because we're going to get to be, be able to call it together. And at the same time, we can we can fantasy book what we'd have really like to have seen at this pay-per-view. Sounds like a plan. I'm looking forward to it. All right, guys, we'll check you back here next week for yet another edition. It's episode 30 next week of the Wrestling Memory Grenade. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. And once again, I've got to say thanks to all of our loyal listeners. We appreciate you listening, subscribing, and downloading The Grenade. You can find The Grenade, Monday Warfare, the WrestleCopia News Network, and other upcoming podcasts over at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com. And all of your favorite podcast streaming apps from Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Pod, Podcast Addict, and so many more. Remember to follow The Grenade on Twitter, at Rasslin Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Lastly, I encourage everyone once again to please have a look at our Patreon account over at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. I encourage you to please subscribe at least one month, give it a try, and join in on the fun. There's no commitment, cancel at any time, but we'd like to think you'll stick around based on the offerings available. It's 14 tiers of goodies over there, and it all starts as low as a buck. A $1 tier. We've really been pumping out a series of watch-alongs ranging from the WWF Coliseum video series to random pay-per-views, including 1995 pay-per-views that make a great complimentary piece to the Monday Warfare podcast. 
We invested quite a bit of money into the podcast network up front. We want to keep the Grenade, Monday Warfare, and other planned podcasts up and running for 2021. So we'd greatly appreciate your subscription to ensure that we continue to produce quality products each and every week. So please stop over. That address again is patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. And please subscribe, show some love, let us know you care, let us know you're there. And with all of that out of the way, it's that time again. Time to say goodbye, but we will return next week. Until that time, this is Ray Russell, and for my co-host Stephen Ekstat saying, from pillar to post and coast to coast, you pull the pin and we'll pick up the pieces right here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. See you next week. Don't miss it. Be there. Literally in the locker room afterwards, Shane walks in the shower, and Johnny's sitting there with his head down and his towel, and he gets up, and he starts going this way, and, and I, Bobby stands, somebody, Stan maybe was probably fucking with him, said, where are you going, Johnny? And Johnny said, I'm just going to suck Shane's dick. <laughs> they hated him.